You know what I did my best at this week? What? Not punching that guy. (laughs) And also reconsidering ruining his life. Yeah, there you go. I probably won't. I probably won't even put the energy toward it anymore. For the patience, Casey, that you always show. Yeah. Chaotic doesn't begin to describe the time of my life that I'm having. Um, chaotic would be maybe an improvement over this fucking past fucking bullshit six days. What day is it? Okay, wait. My sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Leanne Phillips. She doesn't listen to this podcast. Doesn't care doesn't want to listen to it. I don't blame her. I don't blame anyone if they don't want to listen or if they do. I don't blame you if you like it. I mean, what am I even saying? <laughs> Let's uh, start with people really liked uh, the Hoffman thing. Yeah. Yeah. Episode. Some people did. Some people had lots of interesting questions, I thought. And people had jokes of course, based on a popular television show. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. It was good. The nine perfect strangers. I didn't get, I don't know. I don't get any feedback. You know that. (laughs) Like, I don't know who, I don't know what, I don't know what people think about anything. People don't say anything to you. People people don't comment on your. I I see this. I see when people tag me in stories, but that's about it. Yeah. At this point, because I uh, don't think that, um, it's necessarily healthy for me th- most of the time to like read um, things that people write in to the um, like where people you don't know. What is it called? And, oh, God. What is it? DMs. Called it's called oh. fucking DMs. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, Wait, speaking of which, I didn't. Here's here's what I will say. Uh, pretty much. Everything that I learned came to be tested um, in the past, yeah, I guess five days, five days. Yeah. Um, at Hoffman, you know? Yeah. Uh, like in such a like super um, intense and overwhelming way. Yeah. Um, but there was a but. But wait, what were we just talking about? We were talking about how it's not super healthy for you to read DMs. Oh, people's comments. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't remember now what I was about to say, but oh, oh, I do. Oh, thank God. She fucking followed the train (laughs) of her own thought back to the station. Um, But one thing that did stick with Hoffman is I am less... uh, attached to and like truly almost have been spending like very, I mean, I've been spending very little time on the gram. Oh, good. So you were well prepared for I didn't know it happened. (laughs) That's wild. I know. Can you fucking imagine a time in my life when that wouldn't have like brought me such agita? Yeah. In case you're not glued to your phone, maybe you don't know that yesterday Facebook and Instagram were down for six hours and it kind of threw the world into a Yeah, people were like losing their shit, but also because it's like a monopoly now, right? So like they have WhatsApp, which is the way that a lot of people communicate. Right. It's like a free messaging service. Right. And they have um, 
fa- Facebook, Facebook Messenger also how yeah. people communicate, Instagram. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of people that we know. It's like how they do business and, you know, they kind of rely on it for a living at this point. Well, I mean, you could certainly count me as one of them and probably you too in a way. Yes. I mean. Ish. But all my, my point is, my point is I literally had no idea that that chaos was happening because all of the rest of the chaos in my life was happening. And I just was like not escaping through the portal that I hold in my own pocket, which previously to the Hoffman experience was definitely a very easy, uh, and like, uh, like probably the number one go-to escape that I would, that I would go for in times of stress and chaos. And so I actually, I'm, I'm, glad for it. That's interesting that you, that you didn't feel the need to escape into your phone. I, we've talked about this before. I really, really try not to pick up my phone and look at it when I'm talking to another person or when I'm in a situation with another person. I feel very guilty because I also, it also makes me feel very bad when someone does that to me. When you're when sitting I, at a, like a lunch with someone. At a lunch or it even sucks. like it feels in so my house. Shitty. Yeah, it feels shitty. And also I've had the unique opportunity I feel like, and I don't want to specify exactly when or because I'm not trying to like call someone out because I think it's something that so many everybody people do. does. Yeah, so many people yes. do. It. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to sort of be, stand back and observe the way that someone's face looks when someone else t- picks up their phone and pays attention to their phone right. over the person that they're sitting right there with the person that came there to sit with that person, you know? And, and so that's been an interesting like vantage point to be able to be like, Oh yeah, it looks like it hurts as much as it feels like it hurts like in real life. But mm. I do use it as a form of escapism when <laughs> weirdly <laughs> when watching TV and movies that I find uncomfortable mm-hmm. when it gets to like an an uncomfortable part that for whatever to me is like pushing a button that that is, you know, uncomfortable for me, I'll suddenly have to really urgently flip through Instagram and Right, yeah. you're escaping the feelings. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. I mean, Which is yes. hilarious and ironic that I'm like, you watch TV to numb yourself and escape, and then I have to like actually escape TV because it's too harrowing for me. I mean, if we're being real, like what's not harrowing <laughs> in this moment in time? You know? It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. But Ugh. um, yeah. But I had an interesting conversation with someone about how um, having access to someone's DMs isn't an excuse to just like uh, lob grenades and and vomit diarrhea thoughts into their DMs. And, you know, like it's like how that is actually like, I don't know, <laughs> how you should be thoughtful before you're just like, here, let me put, shove everything that I think into this DM, you know, because it like, it alerts you. You get millions of them, I'm sure. So it's probably- I mean, that's, I don't know. That seems wild. That millions <laughs> seems like a lot. Like, well, I'm certainly sure it- I get 
Um, Past a certain point, it might as well be millions. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So like maybe I get like hundreds to the point where like I get an alert. I'm like conditioned to look at it and because of who I am, like give it some thought. And like it's funny because I think sometimes people think like, oh, she's very nice and she will like receive this uh, in like a very gracious way or whatever. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes like I um, will clap back a little when <laughs> someone does something that I think is like out of bounds or whatever. I actually am going to say something. I just had a conversation with somebody about this and let's let's bring this up because I'm like, actually, I think this is really interesting. Okay. You know, with the work that I was doing at Hoffman, I have in the past had a lot of misplaced rage and anger toward people. And so like a situation that very easily maybe I should have let go. Mm -hmm. I then like, I'm like, wait, I'm going to tell you, you don't get to get away with this person. Right, right. You know? And then later recognized, oh, wait, I put too much on that because it was really like about something else, right? Right. At the same time, I had a, f- I, I can't, you guys, listen, I love you so much. There are things that I can't share the details of in my personal life of like what's going on. It's not to make you like curious. It's just that right. there are boundaries. Yeah. It's, n- it's literally none of anyone's business. So except- we had like a family emergency. I had to leave DC. It was, I came back on Saturday. Saturday was a real fucking shit show uh, emotionally for me and like dealing with everything. And, uh, and then Saturday night, Birdie was like, can we go to a, can we go to a Broadway show? (laughs) We live in New York. And I was like, I mean, I know the guy that directed Hamilton. <laughs> you know, he's married to Michelle. Yeah. Guys, in case listeners yeah. at home, in case you don't know that. That is um, your business a little. Well, it's, pu- I mean, it's sort of public it's, domain, it's right? There. I it's guess pu- it's yeah. public domain. Yeah. So um, I texted Tommy. I was like, no NBD. But if there are, if we could, if I could, I'll pay. I'm paying for them, obviously. Yeah. If you, if there aren't any available, I'll find some online. Like I, I'm going to take the kid to see Hamilton tonight. So he was like, actually, here, I'm just going to put you in touch with the lady from the theater. I bought two tickets for me and Bird. We went. First of all, guys, what a fucking great show. (laughs) (laughs) I know it, like, won the fucking Nobel or whatever, but, like, (laughs) Pulitzer, all the awards. But, like, honestly, what an amazing piece of art. I have seen it, like, six fucking times. And I am, like... I got to tell you something. This Broadway cast, so impressive. Yes. A lot of them were the original Chicago cast or they were touring. Um, oh, I believe wow. there's only one member. He does he does that like Samuel Seabury part. And yeah. he was in the very first one I saw like back with the original cast. And so he's oh, the original. Wow. He's like, I think maybe the only remaining original Broadway cast member. Yeah. But- um, the cast that they have is like so incredible. Everybody in the theater is so excited to be there because it's like, first of all, because we get, you know, they ship proof of vaccination and everyone wears masks the whole show, except for yeah. as Bertie per- pointed out, some white men in the audience. Mm. Just disregard. 
yeah. mask around their chin. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, you know, people wear masks. So, like, I think people are super excited to, like, even be able to go have a communal experience of watching a art together, right? A. Yeah. B, the show has obviously had such a huge cultural impact and there's the movie and the music. And so most people are very familiar with the show and yeah. maybe even like us had seen it many times before mm-hmm. or had watched the movie. So people are like hyped to be here. I'm just trying to paint yeah. a picture, okay, of sure. like what Hamilton was. And we're trying to, I'm trying to like get out of my day of the spiral of like trying to reset myself with like these fucking Hoffman visualizations and like doing it. And then like 10 minutes later, some new fucking bullshit like hits me, right. punches me in the nose. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> like I can't. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm so fucking tired. Cause I had woken up at literally whatever. I had woken up super early to drive back from DC. I basically drove eight hours in like eight hours. <laughs> I drove, I drove like eight hours in, and if you're like, it doesn't take four hours to drive to DC. Well, it does if you live in rush hour and you have a fucking car that needs to be charged twice. Right. right. Not the easiest journey. Anyway, the point being, I was exhausted. So I was trying to like reset myself and like people's energy was really like helping buoy my spirit. And then the show started and it was amazing. The cast, so excited to be there and people were just thrilled and everyone around us was like, like electricity, you know? Yeah. But this guy came in and sat down ne- directly next to Bertie by himself. He was wearing like a full suit. He was okay. sitting super upright, wore, you know, wore his mask the whole time, like very fastidiously dressed. Like he was like an agent <laughs> yeah. or a lawyer or something like that. Yeah. And um, sat super upright the whole time, hands like clutched in his lap and was just like, not just staring straight ahead, like not making, not being a part of the communal energy, not vibing, whatever. And I will say in the beginning, Bertie and I were not really vibing with the communal energy either because we were <laughs> on our own journey for the day. And we were trying to like, we were using the theater as an escape, you know? Yes. So, um, we, we kind of like, weren't even really talking. Like we were sort of just in our own worlds, the two of us. But I did like notice this person just because he was so, it was, it felt so other, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, cut to, we get into the fucking show because you get into that show. Yeah. We love, like, it's so good. Yeah. Intermission happens. We're like, we're in, we're in, we're excited. Our moods have been shifted. It did the thing we came there for it to do. We have a renewed faith (laughs) in life, liberty, and the fucking pursuit of happiness. We are in it. We wait in the bathroom line and Bertie doesn't even complain about the fact that it was literally the most insane line. It went back into the theater and snaked around, like into the actual theater. But we did it. We got, got through, we peed. I bought, like, then I was like, oh, there's no line for the, do you want some M&Ms and like, do you want a soda? Because it's kind of getting kind of late. I'm like, I'll share one with you, but we have to like not really drink it at our seats because masks, let's just like stand over here. So we ate, right. like, slammed some M&Ms, drank some soda, went back, but she got one of those little cups that they give you, like the reusable, she, the they. Hamilton cup. Yeah. See, look guys, even I'm Miss, uh, Miss Nomer, Miss. Miss Gender. Sure. Even I do it sometimes. Even I use the wrong 
pronouns. It's fine. We can all just keep going. Um, so yeah, so they got one of those like little like Hamilton like reusable tumblers, right? Yeah. So they brought it back. We brought it back to the seat. We go in, we sit down. We weren't like late or anything. We were like perfectly on time for the yeah. show. And the show, we're, but we're now we're like jazzed. The show starts. There was a, I don't remember, like in the first song back or something, there was something and Bertie leaned over and whispered to me one thing. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And then the thing, like whatever, and, and they leaned over and whispered, like just also blah, 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 really, really quietly. Yeah. And this bro next to Bertie snaps his head toward this 13-year-old kid next to him and goes, do you think you could try not talking through the entire show? That mean, that intense. Not that loud because he was trying to keep his voice down. Yeah. When... Like, rich lady sitting in front of him who was, like, in her 50s, had her fucking cocktail clinking, clanking the whole time, talking to her husband, almost, like, full volume. I'm not even going to lie. Right. Casey, it was as if the universe put the person there to test everything that I had learned at Hoffman (laughs) and to not punch him in the fucking face. Bertie, who... This motherfucker doesn't know what's going on in our lives. Whatever. Bursts into tears. So humiliated, right? To be reprimanded by some fucking cocksucker. Oh, wait, you can't say that. That's rude, right? I mean, mean, I'm a cocksucker. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean it in a disparaging way, like in a homophobic way, but it is, right? That's why the word is bad. Some people believe that. An asshole. He was an asshole. No, he was worse than an asshole. He was like a pig fucker. Okay. That's, is that, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, there's. There are things. No, wrong I mean with the insult. Pigs. The insult. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I'm gonna say we can. I'm gonna allow it this week, and I'm sure people will let us know <sighs> if it's wrong to call someone a pig fucker. Listen, guys. I mean, this is not like I, I can't even. I don't care. I actually just don't care. Don't let me know. <laughs> don't let me know. I fucking hate this guy. I hate him. Birdie's in his like sobbing, and yeah. I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck. Am I about, like, what am I about to do? Because right. I went through so many things. I calmed Birdie down. I got them. I was like, God damn it. I'm not fucking leaving. Like, I don't want this to derail. Right. So I was like, if I, I like had the thought, I wanted to punch him. I'm not even kidding you. I wanted to right. fucking punch him in the face and get arrested right. for assault. Right. Which, not even a joke, you came to mind. Because I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I was like, Casey, you know, in the podcast, I can't jeopardize that. You know, like, so what yeah. if I cancel myself? Like, what are we going to do? I have to go to like anger management or whatever. That's <laughs> probably true anyway. Um, uh-huh. But then I also was like, my best friend's husband is the director of the show. Right. 
Right. I've, I'm an actor. All these people are like literally giving the performance of their fucking lives on stage. Like it was so fun right. to watch every single person in that cast. I was like, right. if I punch this guy, it becomes about me. Right. <sighs> I, gl- I was glaring at him so hard, like holding birdie so that their sobbing wasn't like disturbing people. It was a big, loud song, you know? Yeah. And he, corner of his eye, like glanced over to the side, side, and then rolled his eyes at me. And so I sat there and was like, well, what am I going to say? I'm, you know, this is my superpower, right? We've talked about this. I talked about it at Hoffman. Like, I can identify exactly what somebody's, the, the empath in me can identify exactly what somebody's darkest, most horrible thought about themselves is, always. Right. And I right. can, like, hold it up to them and make them feel like shit, like truly whatever. And then I just, as the play went on, I just was like, to what end? (laughs) Yeah. So we got up when the play was over. I was giving myself a break. I got, I was able, Birdie was able to like recover, which I was really proud of the kid for being able to like come back to, for this fucking Dude in his, like, late 50s to choose to pick on, like, the kid next to him is so wild. You know what I mean? Like, truly, like... Well, it says a lot about that person, right? Of course. That there were... It was. It sounds like it was a target-rich environment, and he targeted someone smaller and younger and less powerful. And, yes. You know... I looked him up. I found out who he was. <laughs> uh, okay. I like kind of in a in a like kind of shady way I found out who he was, but I did. Okay. All right. And I know now. And he is somebody and I'm going to ruin his fucking life. Um, I'm kidding I am just going to put a spell on him and you know how that has worked for me historically speaking in the past okay so at Hoffman they didn't discourage you from cursing people from putting spells they didn't say anything about spells oh interesting it seems like a a loophole that maybe it just didn't occur to them I mean should I not don't you think he's a billionaire Mm, interesting don't you think I should put a fucking spell on him I mean, probably. A billionaire? He's a fucking white billionaire. Probably. Bye, boy. Yeah, it's 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 amazing though, right? It's amazing to learn that. Like, I'm sure that guy had been to see Hamilton 8 million times. I, I have a theory. I have a theory. What's your theory? My theory is that he's trying to like date a, someone in the cast. I don't know who. Oh. That's was it theory. Bill Gates? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> That would be amazing if also, though, if I just didn't know who Bill Gates was. 
<laughs> if you were like furiously trying to solve a mystery and it was and obvious it just turned out it was Bill Gates. Oh, I was sitting was, next to Bill Gates. No. It was Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, was like, a billionaire. It's, interesting. Yeah, I think he's a billionaire. I mean, I, I couldn't fully. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I you know. I mean, listen. If you think he's a billionaire, he's I found at least out enough. Probably. I found out enough information online yeah. that I was, and I'm pretty sure that he's a billionaire. But you and know, then, he should be a little more cheerful and easygoing. Just like, yes, like what the fuck is what? Come on, dude. But yet we know this. We know this about like it's true that. I mean, listen, I'm not going to be one of those people that will say money doesn't buy happiness. This is an example. That's not true. Money makes everything easier when you have the amount that you need and then you're able to just be more happy because things are easier. But, um, but sometimes excessive money, I guess. Oh, I think there's a tipping point. As Malcolm Gladwell would say, I think there's a tipping point at which money turns people rotten. Right. I think that like, there's a fine, there's a sweet spot. Yes. And we yes, should all be able agree. to live in the sweet spot. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Wait, why did you just freeze? Well, um, I will come get you out of jail if you do anything to that billionaire. Here it is, our first ad. Our first ad of the show, Casey. Ginger. Ginger, but it's spelled J-I-N-J-E-R, ginger. Okay, sometimes we get asked about products to advertise on the show. And um, we're like, yes or no, or I don't know, or send it to us, maybe we'll try. Okay, ginger is one of them that I like didn't really know what it was, but I'm like an essential oil, okay? Yeah, great. It has, uh, it's high quality, it has many benefits. Okay, sure, send it on over. So it's like good for massaging onto your skin. Yes. Or you can like diffuse it in the air or you can just inhale it. And, you know, it's supposed to alleviate muscle tension, stiff muscles, aches and pains from workouts. It's supposed to help improve mental clarity during car rides or yoga. So you put it directly onto your skin and it reduces skin inflammation as well. Okay. Yeah. Let me tell you something, KC. About my experience with this oil. Give it to me. Uh, My knee's been swollen for a while. So this ginger oil showed up. I was reading about it. And I was like, I'm going to just try massaging it on my knee. Did it? Within an hour, my knee wasn't swollen. Uh, This is like legitimately my personal experience with the oil. Right. Totally reduced the inflammation. And it felt great. And I loved it. Ginger is amazing. Ginger essential oil. It's literally like an oil. It kind of has a little dropper. Yep. Put it on. I, it just feels great. And you're it gonna smells love, amazing. Yes. You're going to love ginger as much as we do. Right now, here's an amazing deal. It's going to get you started. 20% off your first purchase. But you have to go to J-I-N-J-E-R dot U-S slash best. Don't wait. That's Ginger, J-I-N-J-E-R dot U-S slash best. 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some ginger oil. 
Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens. Is that what we're talking about? That's a very soulful, yes. That's what we're going to talk about. One of my favorite products that advertises on this podcast. Athletic Greens. Um, Today's program is sponsored by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really, really simple. Uh, We're all stressed out in life. It's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits to get our bodies the nutrients we need to thrive. Our schedules are too busy. Our sleep is bad. Our exercise is sometimes okay, but if we're being honest, not great. Environment, work stress, not eating enough of the right foods, we're deficient in key nutritional areas. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product that brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research, knowing what to do, and taking a bunch of pills and capsules is hard on your stomach and hard to keep up with. So to help- I can't do it. I can't do yeah. it. Who I can't stand around just opening bottles, endless no. bottles. So to help each of us be our best, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you the one thing with all the best things. It's one scoop. You just take one scoop of AG1 and it contains- 75, 75 vitamins and minerals. And 75 vitamins and minerals. ingredients, including yeah. a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. One- convenient daily serving. It goes great in smoothies. It's a special blend of high quality bioavailable ingredients in the scoop of AG1. And they work together to fill all those little nutritional gaps in your diet, supporting energy and focus. They aid with the gut health and digestion, which is very important, guys. Yes. which Because that all supports your immune system as well. Yes. And it effectively replaces multiple products or pills. Anyway, yeah, and if you're like doing fans. keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, um, it's all fine. It works with all of those lifestyles. It contains less than one gram of added sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, nothing artificial, and it tastes good, which is like job one for me. If it doesn't taste good, I'm not using it. Yeah, forget and it. You would never use it. Exactly. This tastes good. So guys, why don't you join the movement of athletes, life leets? moms and dads and first timers and everyone who is just taking ownership of their daily health and focusing on the nutritional products they really need in the simplest manner possible. Essentialist nutrition, guys. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash busy today. Again, Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash busy to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Wait, so make a note for um, our sweet, sweet editor who loves <laughs> us so much when I start talking again. Okay. Because God help us all if he has to sit through me eating my fucking salmon salad and cursing. <sighs> you know what? He's uh he's the best and he'll just help us figure it out. He's helped us he figure is truly the best. He's helped us figure out worse. Also like this is like the perfect exit to this trash fucking house. Like <laughs> That your <laughs> busy's internet you. went out. She crashed, and now there's no internet. So now 
were doing the podcast via her phone. Fucking trash. This amazing. Good luck to the people who bought it for way too much fucking money. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Is trash. But it is kind of, is it ironic or is it just a coincidence that we were talking about hexing someone else and then the internet went out? Okay, fine. I can take a fucking hint. (laughs) The universe universe is trying to stop us from being petty. I literally on Sunday was like back having a fucking, I'm just going to, guys, I'm going to say some dark shit right now. So I'm just giving you a trigger warning. Okay. Let's go. This is dark. This is dark shit. Yeah. Okay. Dark. Sitting on the front stoop and Mark was like, what is, I just like, what can I, is there anything, what do you need? Like, what do you need? Just tell me what you need. And I was like, I just want to die. I said that to him. Yeah. I just want to die. And (laughs) not a joke. (laughs) I'm laughing and crying, guys. Some fucking random ass lady walking by didn't hear me say that because I was like, didn't didn't say it loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Walking past the house goes, ah, you are so lucky. Look at you. Literally <laughs> screamed at me. You are so lucky. Look at you. And I was like, what? What? And she was like, look at this beautiful house that you guys get. Oh, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's really nice. I was like, well, it's, you know, it's actually not ours. And she's like, wow, you get to live there. Pretty nice. <laughs> like, it was just this, like, crazy, well, you know, obviously. A little, yeah, a little messenger to tell you, just to shift your perspective, maybe. Because, like, here's the thing, um, having a nice house doesn't make you not want to die when you feel like dying, you know? Um, but it is interesting to hear what other people see and think when they look at you sometimes. Sometimes it's not interesting at all. Sometimes it's terrible. Yeah, I have also experienced that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know, but I, I'm. It seems like you're doing better than you were Sunday. Everything's better. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I mean, things are okay. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm gonna like. Everything's gonna be fine, right? Like, I'm trying. I'm just doing. This is. It is actually. I mean, it is interesting because I do appreciate that at um, the Hoffman Institute when you're. You know, sort of like all week they say to you, like, this is, we call it a process for a reason. It's not a cure. You're not leaving here in seven days. And you guys, I'm really sorry about the noise of just like packing tape and like ripping paper in the back if you can hear it because it's like, there's just nothing I can do in this moment where <laughs> I have no, You're just there's, I just, it's being done for me, thankfully. That's, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. That's good to be able to pay for some people to do it in the way that, because I don't actually know if I would be capable of it in this moment or if I would just like put it in a pile on the street and burn it. Um, Yeah. Rather than deal, throw it out the window. Yeah. I feel like when we moved to this house, it was like an interesting um, 
experiment in resetting and like the amounts of stuff that we need and the amounts of stuff that we want to, because like, I know people get like, you know, people get so mad at Marie Kondo, which I think is like, um, part racism and part, uh, just people being like ridiculously attached to things and feeling attacked because they feel like somebody saying having things isn't as good as not having things. Um, but it was when we came to this house, it's like supposed to be a minimalist, a more minimalist house than we've lived in before. And so it was a good um, time to like reevaluate what I was holding on to and what I was going to keep and what was okay to put away and what was okay to let go. And then, and now it's just like there's too much stuff in the house already. So I feel you on wanting to like set stuff on fire. But also, I'm like, does anyone else out there have this experience? It's very difficult to get rid of stuff. Yes. It's like a lot of things have changed, right? And especially COVID, like it's right. really hard to donate things. It's really uh-huh. hard. Like I see so many people that are like, I'm trying to donate these toys and you're not allowed to like give toys anymore. Like you can't give away stuffed animals. You can't give away plastic toys because like because of sanitary conditions. But so I guess it's like, well, that's where buy nothing comes in, right? Because there's no real rules surrounding that. But that's even, that's time consuming to like make arrangements with someone and hope that someone wants your shit. And, you know, and there's nothing sadder to me than a post on buy nothing where nobody wants it, where somebody offers something and everyone's like, no, nobody wants (laughs) (laughs) It's so sad when people are like, here's a cute, shirt that I loved for many years. I'm sure someone's dying to have it and everyone's like, no, pass. Hard pass on that shirt. Well, um, speaking of which, I am going to, I am about to do my Poshmark sale. I think oh, next great. week it's going to launch. So I'll, ta- I'll remind you guys next week. Um, okay. The clothing sale. And um, I'm going, I got to see what I'm going to, where the money is going to go. Okay. I might go that to abortion good. funds. It might... It may go to like Texas grassroots, like abortion funds, like Jane's due process or something, but I don't, I haven't decided yet. Let's okay. see. Might go to Child Mind Institute. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can split it depending on. I how could well also you put do. it, to, I could also put some of it to Hoffman because they do a scholarship thing. Oh, wow. That's nice. Mm hmm. That's cool. And I was thinking about that in terms of like some of the people that reached out that were like, I really would love to be able to do some like something like that. But it is, you know, it's expensive. It's really expensive for most people to be able to. Yes. But there were definitely, they use the scholarship money like gets used and they do a good, a fair amount of like fundraising for it so that they can. So if you do, if you are interested, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't, you guys, I have nothing, no skin in this game for you. (laughs) But if you are a person that's like interested, but you're like, that is outside of the, what's reasonable for me to pay to go to a thing. Right. Therapy thing. I wouldn't, I would say like, at least like inquire about the scholarship funding and stuff because I think that that is, I mean, that's why it exists. Okay. That's good because that is, yeah, that's a chunk of change that most people don't have hanging around. Um, yeah. And I or, think that like, yeah, maybe it's, maybe, maybe this time it's um, mental health related stuff. 
yeah, mental health, that's all good. I think one thing that I would tell people is that, and because I did see that comment from some people um, saying like, I, you know, some people said very nicely, this is something I would love to do if I had the money. Some people said not so nicely. Nobody has that kind of money to do that kind of thing, Um, which is like both things are true and you're entitled to feel that way. But what I will say is that I also think that sometimes people have a hard time spending anything on their own mental health. Boom. Um, Listen to what the lady said. So whether it's money or time or, you know, and I'm not an expert, I'm not, you know... (laughs) But there, I know that there are resources out there if you feel like there is something. And I think everybody probably at this point has something that they probably need a little bit of help with and to talk to a professional about, um, you know, just the way that the world's been. So there are resources out there, you know, whether that's like a book that you borrow from the library that's highly recommended or whether it's a prorated program that doesn't make you pay the whole amount. It's based on whatever your income is or whether it's a community program or a mental health podcast that you listen to. So, you know, so there are things out there. And I think sometimes people just really stop themselves from doing anything to care for themselves because it feels indulgent and it feels, I well, don't know. And we've been told, and we've been told by everyone since forever that if you have, like, if you ask for help, you're weak. You should be able right. to fucking handle it. Right. Also, we've been, we've told people that the way that it works is that you do a thing, you get money and a job and a career, a wife, family, a kids, whatever, and then you're going to be happy when, in fact, the inverse is true. You need to be the thing first, and then everything comes like from that place, not from the place where like you're doing it to get it to be happy. You have to be happy in order to do it, whatever it is, it is, and in order to receive, to get whatever, you know, rewards are, be they monetary or like emotional or, you know, kids or what the fuck ever, whatever. Right. And you can try to go out of order. You can certainly do it out of order. But we've all known people that have been in families that are unhappy, that have been in like situations where you're like, well, you're so lucky, right? You're living the dream. And hello, lady walking by me, asshole sitting next to me at a Hamilton. Who's a billionaire. Yeah. Billionaire dick face. (laughs) So and also... Also, one thing that I want to mention, too, is that, like, it's not always the same, you know? Like, it, like sometimes you can feel really fortunate and great in your life, and sometimes you can feel just, like, fucking overwhelmed and, like, nothing's ever going to get better. And, you know, it, it's mm. – for some people, that feeling is pervasive and they need a lot of help. For other people, it's situational and cyclical and they need some help and, you know, just – That's a thing that I constantly have to remind myself of is that it's not just like a baseline level of like goodness, you know, that I can expect like that there are. And I know that's so obvious and so silly to to assume that everything would just sort of be like on 
on one level and and just feel like an average amount of good. And that's not the case at all. Like everybody. Yeah, no, everybody has great days and and bad days. And the key is just to try to uh, maneuver it and work it so that you have more great days than bad days. I I do still, I am still returning to some of the things that I learned there though. And like the beliefs that I like came to have while, while I was in a little womb, (laughs) in a, in a very like damp (laughs) camp, like environment. Yeah. Felt very safe and protected. Yeah. In a vacuum. Yeah. In a vacuum womb. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the, the biggest one that I just, I'm going, I just want to say out loud because I think it is like bro sitting next to me, my own shit. Everybody is. That it just originates from self-worth and self-love and self-compassion. Yeah. If you're a person that's like literally at home in your person and like able to have compassion for yourself and forgiveness for yourself and love for yourself, like real love for yourself, you don't lash out a 13-year-old kid sitting next to you at Hamilton. Right. You know, and then their mom doesn't punch you in the face in return. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean... Compassion, right? It's <laughs> it's so important. And it can be like a weird slippery slope. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's not a weird slippery slope. That's not what, but I mean, like if you're having compassion for everyone, like, do you draw any lines? That's what Well, that's I'm, the thing. Like you can have boundaries with compassion. No, I was just going to say like it, it has, I cannot say that in my life I've not had a second of compassion for whatever happened to the child that Donald Trump was to make him the way that he has been. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know that's Mm. wild, like knowing me, but I can't say that I haven't imagined what must have happened to him to make him the way that he is. What is it? Tell me. What do you think? (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm teasing. I I don't want to know. We all really, really bad stuff, you know? Really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. And that being said, like the line was a thousand million miles ago. You know what I mean? Like, because here's the truth. I'm sure that I know many people in my life that had comparable situations right, right. and growing up to to how Donald Trump was raised and did not go on to be who he was because no you know they're they, not because yeah right at some point they were able to manage things and you know and uh and he never was made to manage things or own up to anything and so i think Donald Trump made choices way back way down the road. So like my, where my line is drawn is, is very far back, but I'd be lying if I didn't, if, if I said, I never wondered like what happened to him and had like a, a whisper of compassion for, you know, for that little boy. You are 
truly, I have said to people, like, probably my most generous and compassionate friend, like, that I, the person that I know, even, like, beyond Mm. just friend of mine. You really do, you really are able to, like, and I know sometimes I see it with you where you struggle yourself, but you you are able to kind of have such perspective that is really impressive. Even even truly when some people some somebody has fucked with you. <laughs> I wasn't always like that. I wasn't I mean to be honest, like when I wasn't always like that and I give a lot of credit to my husband because when we met I was only 18 and I was angry I was an angry 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 person and um and it was his patience being like well what are you like what are you mad at that person for and like really like working it out with me and getting to the bottom of it and then I just like and it was frustrating sometimes because it's frustrating to know somebody where your response to something is anger and their response is to be like, okay, but let's like try to take a look at it, you know. But for whatever reason, he just really was like speaking my language and got through to me. And I was like, oh, it's just much more pleasant and much easier to not be like, um, because I was immediately angry about almost everything. You know what I mean? Like just almost everything. Yes, Casey, I do know (laughs) what that feels like. (laughs) And, and I I still do get angry and I still do like, I, I get very frustrated by injustice. You know that I despise hypocrisy. And mm. it, that is the thing that really is like the most triggering for me when someone is expecting something of someone else and then they're living by a different set of rules themselves. Like I really, and I hate when people are dishonest about, like I would even try to be compassionate toward a hypocrite if they were honest about being like a hypocrite, you know, like, um, and I'm talking, I mean, like we're all hypocrites sometimes and we're all, you know, we're all gaslighty a little bit, I think sometimes, but I'm saying like where the hypocrisy is really bad and like causing an injustice for someone else. But all this to say, I wasn't always like that. I was like a really, really, really angry kid. And I just, I don't know what, whatever magic that guy whispered to me, but it was the first time. I think it's the first time that anyone took the time to talk to me about it. You know? That's what I was going to say. I think that it's like that and like that is the way that Matt, I think, showed up in your life was with unconditional love. Yeah. Which was maybe something you hadn't really experienced so much. I think that's probably true. Yeah. And so that's really nice to feel that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it helps uh, melt the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a good fucking egg, that guy. <laughs> he, is. he is. He really is. And it, it makes um, it tough on other people, you know? It makes it tough because I have, like, this really high bar, this really, like, high standard. Um, but you know what? People... People meet it all the time. They really do. People in my in my life meet it all the time and show that they deserve to be there. And you know, and 
everybody fucks up and some people fuck up more than other people, but I'm really proud that I'm not just like throwing people away because that's probably what I would have done in the past is like right. you get one chance and then you're in the garbage to me, you know, and and I wouldn't want that. <laughs> no, you know? I mean, I do think, I do think that like, yeah, I think that there's a difference between, yeah, like you have to be, you have to be able to have boundaries yes. with compassion and empathy. Yes. You can't just be like all one thing because yeah, you will get like fucking railroaded. Ana Luisa, Ana Luisa. Ana Luisa is also a sponsor of today's episode. Ana Luisa is a jewelry brand with a very simple but clear-cut idea. High-quality jewelry shouldn't cost the planet. That's Ana Luisa. It's A-N-A and then L-U-I-S-A. Um, Busy, is there anything worse than when you see cute, a cute jewelry ad on Instagram and you click on it and it's like just the tiniest cute earring and it's thousands of dollars and it's only for one earring? For me, yes, nothing that worse. Actually, no, I mean, literally that exact thing happened yes. recently and I was like, oh, well, okay, that's not happening. <gasps> When I first saw Ana Luisa, I was like, this jewelry is so cute. I was even scared to to look at the prices. And they're so reasonable. So reasonable for such cute, very designer, chic looking items that are very on trend right now. I know. I like how they have like really nice dainty little things. I'm getting a bracelet that has um, BPDHB. I'm busy <laughs> doing her best. That's anyway, so cute. I just think it's cute because I like to remember that I am actually doing my best. <laughs> anyway, I love these uh, these pieces, and I like honestly think they make really great gifts as well. Yes. And they make sure that the metals are you know recycled whenever possible, and that the gemstones are transparently sourced. They're making conscious luxury accessible to everyone. They're 100% carbon and water neutral and are committed to ethical business practices across the supply chain. And guess what else? What? They're offering our listeners 10% off because Anna Luisa believes that how they create their pieces matter just as much as why people wear them. So, uh, they release, Ana Luisa releases new limited edition collections every Friday, pieces starting at just $39, guys. So go treat yourself and maybe a loved one and use our code BEST to get 10% off at shop.analuisa.com slash BEST, spelled A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. I definitely recommend they're a great brand for beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Once again, that's code BEST for 10% off at shop.analuisa.com slash best. Um, guys, we've told you about this before, but we're bringing it back around. This service called FrameBridge. It's an amazing service. If you don't know what it is, 
FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving your house. You know, you can do a gallery wall in your home office or send the perfect gift. I've used this to send um, presents to my parents, my in-laws, art prints and diplomas to just like photos sitting on your iPhone or your phone phone or your flip phone. I don't know what your phone is. But you can FrameBridge just about anything. So here's how it works. You go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo. Or they will send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. You get to preview your item online in dozens of different frame styles and gallery wall layouts. And then you choose your favorite or you get free recommendations from their talented designers. They will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, or to be totally honest with you, sometimes thousands, the prices start at just $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners are going to get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use our code OURBEST. Order online at framebridge.com or stop by a Framebridge store to work with a designer in person if you're in New York, D.C., Atlanta, or Philly. I used it when we moved into our new place. Like, I used I used, I used Framebridge, and now they're packing up all the things I Framebridged. That's right. And <laughs> I'm going to use it to frame the poster I got you for your birthday, which you I still don't have. That. Of David Byrne is going to oh. be put in a frame bridge frame. I'm so excited. I'm excited too, wait. but just I just don't want to send it because I don't want to burden you with one more box of anything. Until, Not yet, but but yeah. the time will come when the time so, is right. Um, guys, we love it. What are what what are you going to frame? T- tell us. Reach out. Get started today. Frame your photos. Send someone a gift. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code Our Best to save an additional fifteen percent on your first order, just go to framebridge.com, promo code, our best. Framebridge.com, promo code, our best. And I don't want to freak you guys out, but Christmas, it is a coming. Very close. (laughs) Okay, so wait, I want to tell, I know people probably want to know about Harry Styles. Yes, I, and I I'm want to sure talk about do. the Harry Styles. Yes, because I I really did start on such a low in such a low place, but that was only because um, I am in such a low place. But I did have <laughs> the joy, the absolute fucking joy and pleasure of um, seeing Harry Styles and Jenny Lewis last night at Madison Square Garden with Birdie and their little friend. Um, That's very exciting. Yes, uh, yeah. it was. Super exciting. But wait, what are you doing your best at this week? How was uh, Minnesota and the festival? And did you get, were you stressed? And did you make it? Everything I, w- I mean, I'm still stressed because I'm just assuming that I got COVID, you know, like even no matter cool, cool. how, no matter how careful I was, I went on a plane uh, two times. Um, I had a great time. I didn't fly into Duluth. I flew into Minneapolis and my friend Emily and I drove from Minneapolis to Duluth because it's only a couple hours and we just took our time and had a great time. And Emily entertained herself in Duluth while I was doing Catalyst Content Festival content. So I was on a bunch of panels with, um, I met a bunch of people that I love, um, 
um, manager that manages our friends Ben and Ben, um, uh, who was also a great guy. This guy, Noah. I met a writer who was a writer on two of my favorite shows in recent history. Who? What um, shows? What shows? Parenthood. And then she was also the showrunner for this show, Away, that um, Hillary Swank was like an astronaut and took a crew into space. And I loved it so much. Um, Didn't even know that show was real, but... It was so Sounds good. Sounds great. It was so good. I loved it so much. So yeah, this woman, Jessica Goldberg, and she was amazing. And then my friend Carl was there. He was the showrunner for the first uh, season of Stranger Things. And he does all kinds of cool movies and TV projects. And he lives in Minneapolis, um, which is kind of interesting. And we just met a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different types of people that are trying to do what we do, that really do think that we're lucky to be able to do what we do and they want to do it. And so I I saw a lot of amazing projects and um, our friend Kulop, who's from Minnesota, was like, I want to go to this festival next year. Our friend Julia Duffy was like, I'm going to come and do table reads at this festival next year. I'm from Minnesota. You don't have to be from Minnesota to be involved. But right. um, obviously, because that's me, just a Minnesota groupie. And yeah, I just had a really great time. And this is how nice of a friend Emily is. It was Prince Night at the Minnesota Twins game. She left Duluth, drove back to Minneapolis, went to a baseball game she was not interested in to get me the souvenir Prince jacket and hat. She made her mom go with her, and then she drove back to Duluth um, so that we could drive back to Minneapolis together so I could catch my flight. Wild. Yeah, it was very sweet. It was really sweet. That is truly a friend <laughs> and one amazing woman lucy uh who's a podcast listener hi lucy um bought a ticket to the festival and she said i just came to say hi to you which was so nice she wasn't even really that interested in the subject matter of the festival but um she wrote a really cool book called locally laid and uh it's about raising chickens it's like a comedic memoir and i'm reading it and enjoying it and um yeah so that was really cool a lot of podcast fans at the festival oh really yeah it was nice do people like this podcast People like it. People like it for the most part. I'm sure pe- I'm sure there are people who don't, but I hope my hope for those people is that they would stop listening to it. Cuz that's pro- when when you don't like something, it's helpful if you stop doing it. If you can, and you certainly can because like there's no requirement to listen to this. So you have my blessing to not listen to it if you don't like it. But in my experience for the most part, People who listen to it like it. It is wild, isn't it? Like people who insist on following you on social media or whatever to tell you how much they dislike you. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, um, like, I just, why? I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't know if they feel like they're doing a service or if it's like an outlet for them or, you know, and, and like I said, everything that I'm experiencing is like a fraction of what other people are experiencing. But there was like, there was a big brouhaha with Chrissy Teigen and comedian Heather McDonald. Did you know about that? No. What happened? When? It was like last week, like Chrissy Teigen posted like an outfit. She was like in an outfit doing like a funny pose. And 
so I went back to like, I, I forensically assembled this thing. Um, Christy Teigen had posted a photo in like a outfit, like doing a silly pose or whatever. And like a fan, like, said, who let you wear that outfit? It doesn't look good on you. Blah, 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 blah. And then so Chrissy posted another picture of herself where she was like, I think some of you are too accustomed to seeing perfect photos and like, you know, and having an opinion. Basically, I don't know exactly, but I know that she was like basically sub- Instagramming, subtweeting this woman who had something to say about her outfit in the prior post. And then so the comedian Heather McDonald was like, you have a lot of, you know, you have like kind of a lot of nerve posting this, saying that like it's not a perfect photo when your hair and makeup are professionally done and all you're doing is like closing your eyes or whatever. And then... You know, and then people like sort of took Heather's side and were like, yeah, Chrissy always does this. And, you know, and you're so brave for calling it out. And then I think, I don't know, then Chrissy posted like, maybe I'm just feeling sensitive because it's the one year anniversary of losing my baby, but fuck off. And um, then Heather was like, I didn't know it was the anniversary of her losing her baby. She's trying to make me look bad. And... Then I believe that Heather lost some job at E. I don't know what job over it. Um, but I was like, I I was feeling a lot like Barb Phillips throughout. I was like, to what end all of this? To what end? Jesus. It was a lot. And I was just like, it's so many opinions flying back and forth. And I'm just not sure... I, I'm just not sure what of what value any of the opinions were. Well, I just, yeah, I feel like there's a moment where people, okay, so here's, this is a thing. This is actually interesting. It's interesting to me that it kept going online. Yeah. Because to me, that's not, that is that seems insane. Like you have enough time to put your phone down yeah, and to walk into the grass in bare feet and put your face into the sun. Yeah. And like reconnect with your truth, the truth of the universe. You know what I mean? And like what the fuck matters and what's important. In real life, for me, with people that I actually know. Don't worry, that's just a mover walking in um, <laughs> and behind me. Uh, in real life, like with people that I am in relationships with, what ends up happening is I don't take that. I'm not able to, I feel as though I'm not able to take that space. Yeah. And I think that the trick of like, all of this stuff, like Hamilton being in a Broadway show forced me to take that space, right? Yeah. So that I didn't punch fucking billionaire Joe out. Bill Gates. <laughs> if this fucking gets was- put, if this gets put in fucking peoplemag.com that I was sitting next to Bill Gates at Hamilton and wanted to punch him, I swear to God, I swear to fucking God, Casey. It was not Bill Gates. 
It was just some other random billionaire. Somebody, I mean, honestly, I bet someone can figure it out. I'm sure, right? I'm don't sure. I'm sure. But don't. Guys, don't. But don't. Don't. That's and I'm point. not going to put a spell on them anyway. Look how much time I wasted forensically reassembling the Chrissy Teigen, Heather McDonald saga. Like it just wasn't, you know. I not think worth it. It wasn't worth it. No, but it was this like, is, but, but, but my point is just this. My point is this. Like all of us get that thing. You get that thing, the claw at you that it like, it triggers whatever it triggers for you. You're not smart enough. Okay, maybe like online, you, somebody says a thing to you and it triggers for you like they're being condescending and they're whatever because they think you're a fucking idiot. Is This is how you're interpreting it. Right. That person may, has no idea who you are. They don't particularly care. They're just putting their own thing into the world because that's what people fucking do in this day and age via social means. Yes. But your reaction to that thing, if it's to like go after them... This is what all the way circling all the way back to one hour and seven minutes ago <laughs> when we started talking. Um, like at sir, like for me after I left and I didn't say anything to that man, I was like, you know what? Like a guy like that should I should have said something to him. Like you're a privileged, rich, white dude, like moving through the world with no obstacles. And you chose to pick on a child sitting next to you, a child that you don't know their experience or their life. Like, take a look at yourself and fucking get your shit together. And that can be, in some instances, speaking truth to power. Do you know what I mean? And like, is valuable. If somebody like slides into your DMs to like, tell you X, Y, and Z that's hurtful and unsolicited and you feel like they're coming from a place of punching down, maybe. Or or, punching into the dark. Or punching into the dark or whatever. Like, sometimes it's very clear when people are, like, struggling with their own shit and they're, like, I can, within two seconds, like, if I look at some of these some of the DMs that are just horrible to me, I'm like, oh, this person is in so much pain. It's like, that's not about me. Right. You know? Right. But I've had instances with other people where I'm like, why? Why are you picking, like, like feels like picking on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, I, I don't know if that's making total sense. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. And, you know, and it's weird because it, that probably is also not about you, but it's hard when it's someone that you know and that it's someone in your life and someone that's right there. And I extolled the virtues of my husband, Matt, before, but that doesn't mean that we haven't gone through that either. Because when you're together for long enough, you, you know, again, it's like it's a real roller coaster. And there have been times when we both have not been the kindest to each other and it didn't have anything to do with the other person. It had to do with how we were feeling about ourselves. And that is rough shit. I mean, it's important for everyone to remember at all times. And I'm saying this out loud to myself (laughs) right now. (laughs) That taking 
as much time and space as you need is never a bad thing. And you can always say to anyone in the middle of anything, I'm going to stop this right here, right now, just for, and we can, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, like I can circle back to this tomorrow or whenever, whatever, at a later date. But right now I'm going to need to do, do something. I need to walk away and I need to like be by myself or whatever and go, you know, and then do the, the feet in the grass and the face in the sun shit, you know? <sighs> Oh it's it's interesting, yeah. but like what's what the part where it falls off the cliff for me is where Heather's like, I didn't know it was her, the anniversary. She's uh, trying to make me look bad. It's like, baby, baby, that was a bridge too far. Like <laughs> all you had to say was, I didn't realize it was that date. I'm so sorry. You must be feeling extra sensitive right now. Yeah. Yeah. It could That's have ended it. there. Yeah. That's it. That's the end. That's the end. And whether or not you think that she's trying to make you look bad, everything, you now have new information that a public figure went through a very traumatic experience that they are still grieving from, that they have shared in the hopes that other people who are also, have also experienced such loss can not feel so alone. Yeah. And even if you hate a hundred other things about that person, it doesn't make that one thing not true about them. For sure. You can like, you can, this is it. It's the whole fucking thing. You have to be able to hold two truths at one time. You can be annoyed that Chrissy Teigen posts pictures that she calls imperfect because she is by all, you know, has professional hair, makeup, whatever. And also... Show a person compassion. You can like not like my personality and also not slide into my DMs and tell me you hope I die. Right. Right. Yes. This is the lesson we all need to internalize. All uh, Me included. Me included. <sighs> now... We have to get to our interview with the amazing Bendela Kremp. But first, I don't think you had time to read Bad Art Friend today. The New York Times article that's taking Twitter by storm. But I think it applies to so much that we're talking about. And I'm dying to talk to you about it. It's really fascinating. And I think it touches on a lot of the themes that we're talking about here. And I'm, of course, like... I'm dying to discuss it, even though discussing it is probably part of the problem. Bad art friend. I found it. I found it. Who is the bad art friend is what it's called from New York Times. And it is is wild. And I can't wait to discuss it with you, even though I will hypocritically be making the problem worse. I feel like I already know what this is. But isn't this also a little bit the cat person Yes, it's similar Conversation to yes, as well. to the to this to the short story cat person which uh-huh. was unbeknownst to the subject of it written based on someone's personal story without necessarily but it's it's about so much more. Both of those stories are about so much more. It's about like knowing people, thinking people are your friends, not realizing that you're maybe not as good friends with them as you thought. Also about like performative altruism and then also like calling people out when they're not 
impressed by your performative altruism. It's like this story has everything. It has everything. This story has everything. <laughs> it's, you really have to read it. I'm and just like, going to, that's the name of this podcast. <laughs> this podcast has everything. Um, ben De La Creme is our guest this week. So I guarantee you this interview is going to be way more fun than the first half of the show. <laughs> Fuck. We love but wait, Dayla. When you come back, we love Dayla. But listen, when we come back, I am going to talk a little bit about Harry Styles too. So stay tuned. Yes, we're going to talk to Ben DeLacre. And I'm now. reading this article right now. And stay tuned for talk about Harry. Oh, Olive and June, Olive and June. Everybody loves their salon perfect nails at home. Olive and June. Is that good? That was good. It was is interesting. I wasn't sure where it was going. I didn't either. I didn't. But know I like where it ended. Here's what I'm gonna uh, say. I was super excited about my new fall color that I painted my nails, and then literally, like as soon as I finished painting them, I realized I had to pack a bunch of stuff to move. Oh dear. So I will say that while I tried to be careful, my right hand does leave something to be desired because that is my dominant hand, and it was the hand I was using to grab things such as crystals off my shelf. Well, may I give you a recommendation? Because this is yes. one of the things that is so great about Olive in June. They are constantly posting tutorials about how to fix up little mistakes that you made when you're doing your at-home mani so that it looks perfect. They'll show you how to fix a smudge, how to fix a chip. You just need to go on their Instagram and look on their little tutorials. Most Olive and June manicures will last seven plus days without chipping. For me, I can go two weeks if I do a really good job on my manicure. But if you happen to like smudge a nail while it's wet or you happen to break a nail because you're packing they uh, will teach you right on their on their website and their Instagram how to fix it up. I mean, one of the many reasons why I love Olive and June, uh, because they're really there for me. <laughs> I really feel like they are. Um, plus, the colors are just the best. So, like, that's also kind of, like, my driving force with Olive and June. Like, this dark green for fall is... I'm just vibing on it so hard. It's um, so good. It's so cute. So the Olive and June Manny Systems, the secret behind Salon Perfect Nails at Home, all in one, no guessing, no messy nails, no salon price tag. And now you guys can get 20% off your first Manny System with our code BEST, B-E-S-T. So get your new nail life, 20% off your first Manny System when you use promo code BEST at oliveandjune.com. We are done with expensive bad manis. This is the new us, okay? Bev, Bev, Bev. Bev. <laughs> I can't forget my Bev when I move to my new house. Oh my God, pack um, Bev first. Bev's already packed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bev's in my carry-ons. Anyway, um, you know, guys, how important it is to support female-founded and run businesses. Yes. Because we tell you it is <laughs> all the time. We never don't, we're never not telling you that. We well, never anyway, stop talking about we it. We never stop talking about it, but the, but it is true. And it's one of, but not the only reason why we love Bev. Bev is a female first canned wine brand that was founded to change not only the way a product is consumed, but the way an entire industry and culture have operated for generations. So, 
in an industry that's almost exclusively masculine, Bev is breaking norms, creating something from the female perspective that's approachable and fun and consumer-centric. They have four different varietals, Rosé, Soft Blanc, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. Um, my favorite, clearly, the Rosé. <laughs> yes, obviously, Rosé. Also, like a little Pinot Gris. I was into that this week. Oh, you were? Interesting. Yeah. The wines are dry and crisp, a little fizzy, super refreshing, delicious. I like it because it's a can and it's like a glass and a half of wine. And it's perfect for when you just need a glass and a half of wine and you don't need to open a whole bottle that's going to sit in your fridge until it turns into vinegar and then you try to taste it and then you have to spit it in the sink and everybody's <laughs> upset and you feel like you wasted wine. No. Never waste like, wine. You don't have to waste wine again. This is when Bev comes in and makes it easy to have that glass of wine, not overindulge, not feel bad about wasting. It's also zero sugar, three carbs, 100 calories per serving. And it ships straight to your door and shipping is always free. We have worked out an exclusive deal for Busy Phillips is doing her best podcast listeners. You can receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping on all orders. We suggest trying their best-selling Ladies' Night Variety Pack so you can check out all of the delicious varietals. But you know my favorite is the rosé. Anyway, go to drinkbev.com slash busy or use code busy at checkout to claim the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-B-E-V dot com slash busy. Well, everybody, this is really exciting because if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race or Who if you're isn't? just... I mean, uh, clearly nobody is not a fan of... Is that the right way to say it? Um, everyone's a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. And we have one of RuPaul's Drag Race's most history-making competitors... Bendela Krem is here. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Thank you. I'm like, I am having like a little, I'm trying to play it cool, but I I feel very honored to be here with you guys. Oh my gosh. The honor is ours. Yes. I'm uh, a big fan of yours and not just from Drag Race. I just like, I know you from Drag Race originally, but then I started following you on social media because that's what normal people do when we're a fan of someone. (laughs) Um, But I just, this is going to be, this is such a busy thing to say, but I just love your vibe so much. Like I love, you really speak to so many things that just like make my heart sing. So um, yeah, so I'm just a fan of you as a person, as I've gotten to know you through the lens of social media. Thank you. It is all fake, but thank you so much. I really, (laughs) no, no, no. I really, that's very sweet. Thank you. I really, um, I mean, it isn't that like weird and cool that we can see into it. I mean, like busy watching you like bail out your basement and stuff. It's like the way that we're like <laughs> let into these these like sort of more personal details is very weird. And like, I an always say though, so you're you have a birthday coming up. Yes. That's that's so we're of similar ages. You're 40. Bit, I'm about to be 40. You're about to be 40. I'm say it loud and proud. I'm not great. Great, around it. great. Okay. I, I know I actually loved turning 42. 40 as well. As well. Turning 42 this year, I didn't love. I actually did not love <laughs> turning 42. But I, I liked turning 40. I celebrated. I threw myself a, like a wedding for myself, a true like huge wedding, basically. It was very fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's so valuable to be able to um, obviously like keep in touch with 
people, but also like I, I, I feel like we're the first sort of generation of people that like make fr- have made friends like real friends on the internet. Casey and I were internet friends basically. Yes. We really? met in person like one time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I am. Um, I feel like so we actually just moved to L.A. right before the pandemic, which was a real treat. Um, <laughs> but we uh, so, uh, you know, I'd lived in Seattle for 14 years and I had a lot of friends that I just made through being a performer there and everything else. And now moving to L.A. and especially everything being shut down as soon as we moved here. But just in general, it's been like you know, I remember moving to new cities in the past and it being such like an arduous, overwhelming task to figure out how to interact with new people. And now it's like, you can just start casually DMing on Instagram. And then it's like, it's like a nice way to start building community without actually having to like take the actual risk of human interaction quite yet, you know? (laughs) Right. We recently, Dela, during the pandemic, um, we had a neighborhood explosion. um, And that's how I found (laughs) out that... um, (laughs) So many people live within a mile of me because my social media was like, what the fuck just exploded? And then all of us were like, hey, we're neighbors. <laughs> well, that's fun. I didn't wait. So like, so what did explode? It was like a, a marijuana grow house, which I thought was weird because marijuana is legal in California. So I didn't know people were still freelancing in their garages. People don't want to get taxed on that shit. Yeah, I guess. I guess They not. don't want to get taxed on that shit. <laughs> I'll pay anyway. my taxes on marijuana. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to pay my taxes. Yeah, so that marijuana. people don't blow up. I want to, you know, yeah, just save it but yeah. also like I'm happy to take one for the team if other people don't need to pay taxes on it. I yeah. think that that's also fair. Understood. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. A, I'm a white lady, you know, who likes weed. So <laughs> I'm happy to pay my extra dues for it. That makes sense. I think that's a solid perspective. Right. I don't know. De- how do you like living in LA? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I you've only have no experienced idea. your the inside of your own home. Yeah. This Wait, where did you is amazing. Where did you move from? <laughs> where did you guys uh, move from? We moved from Seattle. Oh. So uh, I've been in Seattle for 14 years and um we had kind of, you know, Seattle's changed so much because you know Amazon moved in there and the tech world is like really shifted that city. And so we were both kind of feeling a little displaced, my partner Gus and I. Um, And he just like loves LA and was really ready to move to LA. And I've been kind of like, this could be good for career stuff, but it's scary and Seattle's my home. And, but kind of like talked myself into it. And finally we were like, let's take the plunge. Let's do it. I was like, okay, great. All these years of hemming and hawing and fretting. I'm ready to like take LA on by storm. And then we moved here March 1st. And then March 14th is when Stop it. started. March oh. 1st, 2020. What a that's time the, to be alive. That's the best comedic timing of a pre-pandemic move. I think that I've heard. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You know, <laughs> I really, it's, you have to take these little victories. Well, at least you're with Gus, who I also really like. Like from social media, that's the only way that I know him. But I feel like I know him. I feel like we've been friends for years. We haven't. But <laughs> but um, how is he adjusting? Because you guys, you work together. He helps you. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. You know, there's so much when you're like a, I feel like there's so many drag queens yes. who start dating somebody and like immediately because you're on the road all the time or because just like the drag world is so like, right. It's like you immediately become part of the same business. Gus yeah. and I fought that for many, many, many years. Um, 
And so we actually only started working more together kind of right before we moved here. And then of course we plunged into pandemic mode and then it was like, oh my God, we just both have to like do whatever we can to make the household work. So now we work very intensely together, but he's adjusting really well. He's actually like, I'm the one who's like, how, I I know you sort of can leave the house, but like, how do you? And he's like out there, like ready to make friends. I mean, he's like, you know, not out there, like, you know, anti-masking in the grocery store, but just like out there, like, (laughs) talking to people and, um, and he's started doing, you know, cause during the pandemic, we, we made this, we sort of independently produced this, this movie and he was so good at production stuff. He's like started going, like he started taking classes in production and he's going out and doing PA work and some like line producing stuff on some projects. And so he's like getting out there and I'm the one who's just here. Like, thank God that I have a podcast so I can interact with humans. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, Casey. no, it's great. I mean, he's we're the amazing. same person now. We're That's just... amazing. <laughs> um, no, but how, wait, can I ask what is what does uh, Gus do? What do you? How do you guys work together? What do you do so, in the in the drag world? Right. I mean, together? it's kind of all hands on deck, right? Because um, I mean, I generally think it's like you know, drag now is it's more mainstream, and so it looks more like other things. But you know, I've been doing right. drag since I was like a baby. So I've been, God, it's, uh, it will be, it's 19 years I've been doing drag. So, (laughs) right. So the beginning of that before drag race and everything else is just like, you just do whatever the fuck you have to do to make Mm -hmm. the thing happen. Right. So I think that even though we're getting to do a lot more, we're both sort of, it's just us filling in the gaps. Right. So, uh, so for a while he was sort of picking up on some management stuff for me, helping me like book out my year because I was doing a lot of, um, that stuff for myself. And so, uh, so it became like management aspect. And then it became like, he started touring with me on some shows and helping with like the onstage production aspects. And then he started helping with like some of the booking stuff. And then we like made this movie together and he was just like a full on co-producer with me, which it turns out he's really good at. Like, I'm the one who's like, let's make this art. And he's the one who's like, here's the math and like, here's the logistics. <laughs> and I'm like, thank God. That's, That's great. Incredible. I mean, you gotta That's have... really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Got to have somebody who's, you know, holding the string for the kite. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like an Instagram husband on steroids. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It is. Uh, I, you know, I, and I think, I think he, I think he likes it, but I'm really glad that, um, he's having the opportunity now to kind of branch out and, you know, it's like through our working together, he's found interests that now are allowing him to go on his own path. And we don't, you know, because working with your, being quarantined with your partner and working with your partner yes. and being partners with your partner is, um, you know, you really have to polish that up for Instagram. <laughs> That's a real test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a real. That's something that needs like several filters. Yes. <laughs> um, wait, so I, so since you mentioned it, that you're almost at your 20 year drag of Anniversary. Yeah. I don't know if that's a word. But um, how did you first find yourself in in the world of drag and and how did that come about for you? What's your origin your origin story for the people at home? <laughs> I was bit by a radioactive drag queen and <laughs> I um no, I uh so I grew up in rural Connecticut. Where in Connecticut? Near you. Um I grew up in Litchfield. Oh, North, okay. Like North, you know where that is? Where yeah. are you in Connecticut? I know you're in Connecticut, but I'm I'm actually in LA now. So but I was in Westport, Connecticut. Oh, Westport. We used to go my Unitarian church was there. We used to drive oh, to church. Oh, 
there we go. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I grew up in Connecticut and um, I was like, you know, Litchfield kind of conservative, kind of rural. And I, um, but I just always was kind of like that kid who like was always like, I would steal makeup from the drugstore. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, <laughs> all this is the long way of saying, I feel like some people decide to become drag queens. And I feel like for me, I like found drag and I was like, oh, there's like a container for who I already am because I was already like doing mm. this kind of feminine performativity, but like it wasn't, you know, I think drag can fall between kind of identity and art practice. And for me, it's mm. kind of both of those things, right? Yeah. So growing up, it was like, I knew I wanted, I knew I like didn't feel like I was a woman, but I wanted to like wear all this makeup and wear the dresses and be theatrical. And and when I found drag, in high school, probably for the first time through the Wigstock documentary, which is really amazing. Um, amazing, yeah. I uh, I was like, oh, there's people like me who are doing this thing. Like, this looks like this thing. I did not know there was a place to put what I do, yeah. and um, and so I just sort of immediately started identifying as drag queen. You know, I'd say like late high school at this point, um, and then I started performing for the first time. I was living in Chicago, and as soon as I turned twenty one, I started entering competitions and getting gigs, and that was that. And then you were gifted at it. Can I ask a question? Like going back, you said when you're a little kid, you were like stealing makeup from drugstores. <laughs> How did? <laughs> which is so funny to me. How did the older people, your family, uh, the the people in your life react to that? Because it's one thing to like have your kids steal, but then to have them steal something maybe probably surprising or was it not at all surprising to them? Well, no, I don't think anybody knew that I did. Like this is, you know, this is, a, you're getting the hard hitting yeah. behind the scenes. Um, no, I don't think anybody knew that I was actually uh, stealing stuff. It was, it was like, I mean, I would literally like get makeup, sneak it home, put on a full face of makeup in my bathroom by myself, wash it off, then leave the bathroom. Mm. Oh, wow. Like wow. it was like a deeply like closeted practice. Very, yeah, very secret and private. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Huh. Wait, but by the way, I also did that. Because yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I did would that, get, I did that too. No, because I would get in trouble if yes. I had like, there was no way that my mom would be chill with me going in and doing my cat eye and all the things that I was trying. I was <laughs> you guys not wait? allowed to wear makeup until I was 16. No, and I would do well, the same thing. And then my mom would be like, I know you were putting makeup on. I can see it around your eyes. And I was like, I was just doing it in the bathroom. Well, you know, when I, it's, this is in my book, but when I dislocated my knee in the um, middle school dance, um, which is, was the a horrifying moment of my life. They canceled the dance. All the lights came up. They cut my pants off in front of everyone in oh, seventh man. and eighth grade. And it was terrible. But oh it was the God. first time I was allowed to wear the two items of makeup that had been approved, which was lip gloss and mascara. So I was wearing... When I tell you 4,000 pounds of mascara, <laughs> but then, I mean, I must have looked like an actual horror show when they were <laughs> wheeling me out because the mascara was just all down my neck onto my shirt. It wow. was a, oh a scene. That's a lot. Because you had been told that you weren't supposed to wear makeup before that, did you feel like it was some sort of like karmic, like some higher power was telling you that this was a sin? No, no, no. No, okay. not at all. <laughs> I I truly was just like, fucking of course. 
You know what I mean? Like, of oh course, this is how my Valentine's Day school dance ends. <laughs> I, I'm I'm impressed that your mom like let you start out simple because I was like I wasn't allowed to wear it till I was 16. I think my mom told me I could wear it on my 16th birthday, and instead of starting out subtle, I really like fully went for it like like full a purple smoky eye and just everything that goes below that and I just remember my best guy friend being like you look insane no we don't that's not just like oh no no guys don't know (laughs) and I didn't either and I was just like you know what I appreciate his honesty I probably do look insane this is an evening look that I've I've worn to the 11th grade so weird. I well, you know, once it got like once we got a little later into high school, then I started like kind of saying fuck it, right? Like I was so like I was so weird at that age. So um so my mom died when I was fairly young and so I was with my dad and he's like a good guy but like really did not know what to do with a queer kid and was like just very like I'm going to like be supportive from the other side of the room, you know. Yeah. So um so I at some point just was like, this is not containable. I'm just like, fuck it. Nobody at school likes me anyway. So I just started wearing full faces of makeup and wearing like insane shit. And, um, and it became very much that narrative of like all the adults and the kids too, by extension, were all like, oh, you're doing this for attention. You want attention. I'm like, I have zero interest in your attention. I would like so much less of your attention. The attention that you're giving me blows. And, but like, but I did look absolutely like in retrospect, I felt fabulous. I'm glad. No, I didn't. I felt rotten about myself, but I felt like I was making myself more fabulous. But I look at it and I'm like, those were such insane looks. You looked like such a crazy person at that age. <laughs> but like, I'm so glad that I didn't like start my career as a drag queen with the crazy trying outfit. Like I'd already worked through my awkward right, makeup right. by the time I hit the stage, you know? But so. also I do have to say like, even... You know, to have a single dad who didn't really know what to do, he knew enough to, like, not make you go back and wash your face before you left for school in the morning. He let you wear what – I always think that's such a blessing. Just, like, sometimes – I mean – I don't know. Uh, sometimes it feels like neglect, <laughs> but also like when, when parents like don't know how to handle a thing. And so they just sort of like, don't do anything. It can be, that can be really great. Absolutely. No, I really, I really agree. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, I, I have, I've had different perspectives of that t- time in my life and of my course. dad, as I've grown up. Um, but I do very much feel like, you know, he was, he did not have access to a lot of the tools that we have to like understand people different from us. Now he was in the throes of grieving a wife and suddenly being a single parent and still having to support his kid. And, um, and so while at the time I was like, oh my God, why aren't you here for me? Why, you know, like I didn't feel supported. Like I look back and I'm like, oh, this person was really like, doing their all with Mm -hmm. what they had at their disposal, you know? I think that's also a thing that comes with some age. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I think that you're in your twenties, you're like, fuck you. You didn't do anything for me. You never supported me. And then when you get into your thirties, you're like, oh my God, you were a human being that was trying (laughs) your fucking best. And outside of being 
like in an abusive household or, you know, something like that. Like most of us, like, especially also my friend brought this up the other day. We're sort of like our age, like around like, like I would say like mid thirties and older, like our parents did not go to therapy. And it was like, most of them didn't, or it was just sort of like beginning kind of, and it was bad therapy. Yeah. Well, when I, uh, (laughs) sorry, I'm like, I'm like, am I talking about this? I don't know. Whatever. My dad's not going to listen to this. My dad is in (laughs) therapy right now. He told me, and I'm like, with who? Like Howard, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I feel like (laughs) he's like, I've been in therapy for four years and I've been like, wait, but have you gone to more than one session in that four years? Like what is happening? But I do feel like we have the blessing of sort of growing up, like using those tools, but yeah, you're right. Like our parents didn't go to therapy, but now I'm watching my dad be in therapy, but like still not know how to go to therapy. I'm like, what tale are you weaving in therapy that you're not getting any constructive feedback? Yeah. It is sort of wild. Like all of a sudden, like my dad was like my, yeah, my dad was like, it's totally different. And then my mom was like, well, his doctor put him on an antidepressant. He's, he's great now. And I was like, well, this was like 10 fucking years ago. I was like, well, where was the antidepressant? Well, I guess it didn't really exist. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's wild. I think that like our, our parents, like in my experience, I like got put into some therapy, but like not even like long-term therapy, but just to like handle things when, you know, like a terrible thing that happened to you when you're a teenager, go to a group chat for like 12 weeks or whatever. Um, but I was yeah, put in one of those group chats too. Yeah, <laughs> it was terrible. But it was like, that was the thing. It was like, it was starting to become a thing where it's like, Hey, we should probably, this should probably be a thing that we all do ish. It's having some good, I don't know if you're like, yeah, ther- okay, therapy, maybe we'll try it with these kids because I don't fucking know what to do with them. But for themselves, like, none of them did it. Right, right, I know. Or really did it. I loved my group chat because it ended and also because we would get pizza after. <laughs> Mine was, like, it was a group of kids with such different problems, like, deeply troubled children with nothing in common all just sitting in a circle <laughs> triggering each other for an hour so like wild. yeah yeah and and same like, wait same that was and like you're too. supposed to just like work it out amongst yourself right. amongst like, <laughs> like the dozen kids and there's just a person like an, one adult there with a notebook drinking coffee like right. looking back at it it's it seems like wait was the plan just to like have us cancel each other out just like like let's let them <laughs> deal with each other so that we like don't have to actually bear the brunt of this because it it just, it seemed a little Lord of the Flies. It was I wild. Agree. The only thing I remember from the talking is that somebody asked me, how come you never talk in this group? And I said, because what happened to all of you is so much worse than what happened to me. And they were all just like, all right, well, I guess we'll uh, never talk to you again. Oh, wow. my God. And then after it was actually one girl came up to me after and was like, you know, what, uh, your stuff is bad, too. It's not like a contest. And I was like, oh, I felt like I didn't have the right to, you know, whatever. But clearly we had no instructions for how to do group therapy. But isn't that interesting? Like people do think pain is a contest. Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, I feel like I find myself falling into the trap on both sides, though, right? Where I'm kind of like, Same. yeah, you know, it's like I, I both uh, 
I mean, I definitely, I, I do fall into that thing where I'm like, no, mine is worse than yours. And also like, oh no, like, like I have nothing on it. You know, it's like canceling out your own pain and also um, like really just being so self-involved when you are in pain that it is hard to like expand and have empathy for all the rest of the kinds. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Well, I mean, people talk about it all the time, right? Like that talking about like the trauma Olympics, like it's, you know, it is kind of like weirdly competitive. And also it took me a long time to realize that like, even, you know, talking about like, well, what happened to you versus what happened to you and what happened in your life versus what happened in your life. It took me a long time to realize that like for some people, something that seems small is yes. just as painful as like something that seems devastating that happened in someone else's life. And it has a lot to do with like who that person is as a person and how it was handled and just everything. But then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because I spent a lot of time being like thinking to my Myself, like where t- busy always says, I say that I'm non-judgmental, but I am. Um, but <laughs> that's, <true. laughs> I, that's a realization I've recently had. <laughs> by the way, I've been saying for so long, I'm like the most non-judgmental person, and then I was like, I'm such a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but I I do remember being that age a lot of times and thinking, well, like this thing that this person's in intense pain over, it's because they haven't had anything like really traumatic happened to them yet and they will one day and then I was like oh that doesn't it doesn't really matter it's like it's an individual scale I guess everything you're saying in theory I'm like yes this is true and like I can think of a million times in my life that I'm like yes this is true and then also I have this very distinct memory of the year that my mom died and there was this kid that I went to school with who I was friends with and you know, I was 13, whatever. And we were hanging out and I was just like so sad at that time and didn't know how to express anything. So I was just like, you know, crying and, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, it sucks that your mom died. Like my cat just died. And like, Aww. you know, it was pretty, it's pretty much the same thing. Cause I was like talking to my mom and she was like, yeah, you know, cause like all pain's the same thing. So it's like, I mean, so he was like, weirdly had been the message he'd been given about this exact same yes. thing. Then he was like filtering it through like a 13 year old mind. And like, and I, so every time this comes up, I'm also like, but fuck that guy's cat. Right. Like, <laughs> well, I get, wait, I get like real fucking weird with people about pets when yes. they're like, I lost my child. And I was like, let's not, let's just fucking not. Okay. Right. Like, it was it was a cat. Let's it, just not. Yeah. How about we yeah. just not? I, Pets I aren't also, actually people, and we can love them, and we can mourn yeah. them, and they're I, also actually not people. But where's the I hard line like, on like the sliding scale of like pain comparison? You know what I mean? Like like when is it like when does it stop being okay for that kid to tell me that his cat dying and my mom dying is the same thing? It is not this okay. Is at all. I think I think that you just don't compare at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I think, I think that's you can it. look at right. your friend and be like, he's in a lot of pain over his cat. It is on a, a totally different track than okay, me wait. being in pain about losing my mom. I I'm getting choked up thinking of you losing your mom at age 13. Because my kid is 13. And yeah. like, so, and you probably in your, I don't know. I don't know if, have you seen any 13 year olds recently? Uh, I have hung out with a, a 10 year old uh, Niblin, which is the gender neutral of niece and nephew I recently discovered. What? Um, yes, I Niblin. It. I love Nibbling? it. It's a little, I'll have to say it's a little cutesy for my taste, but the internet <laughs> has like made the decree. A, a, a nibbling. Okay, so, so 
You have you have nieces and nephews. Yes. Um, and so it's so 10 year old recently. Yes. But I have yet to I will see where we where we you know, where our relationship lies at 13. But tell me more about your experience. I just, I just think, no, I just think that for you having gone through that trauma of losing your mom at 13, when you see a 13-year-old in the next couple of years, it's going to really hit you, like how little you were. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. no, you I were mean, like I, a baby. It is... Um, you know, it's in, well, it just makes me think of 5 billion things. One is, this is, I don't know, I'm like, how dark do I want to be right now? But like, I'm actually getting close to the age that my mom died at. And that's like a weird mind yes, fuck, like approaching yeah. 40. Like, that's actually something that's like very, like, that's the thing about 40 that's popping into my brain. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, whatever, we just make those associations. But entirely separate from that, um, one thing that's been really cool about uh, specifically the drag race aspect of my career is getting to be in living rooms where like young people have access to mm-hmm. like seeing, you know, me and other Queens like me doing what we do. Um, and, you know, thinking about how valuable that would have been for me at that age, especially yeah. like both when my mom was around, but also having lost her, seeing that there were other people like me out there who were like thriving and succeeding. Um, and I oftentimes have that kind of, you know, like sort of mental thing I go through before walking out on stage or wherever, where I I think about like, what if you could go to 13 year old you and be like, oh my God, look at what you're doing today, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's my like YA a- book, Casey. Yes. That's my true. YA. I have, I have this idea. I what? Like you're going to love it. Yes. I had, okay. It came to me in a meditation. <laughs> Okay, right. I was meditating and I like came out of this like meditation and I was like, Casey, I think I have this really good idea for like a YA book or movie. Basically, like I love the idea of giving yourself like a snapshot of the future. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you the whole YA plot because it involves teen suicide. Well, no, it just like it involves teen suicide and like typing on there. It's a whole whole thing. But like part of it that I I, like, what if there was some sort of um, technology created that was like, like a photo booth and you go in and you get four snapshots from the future, but you'd have no context and you don't know, but it's your, it's you and like whatever. And just how like fucking wild that would be. And if it would change how you proceeded or how you like lived your life or if, you know, whatever. Anyway, I think about this a lot. Are there any, wait, are there any rules in this book about whether the snapshots are from like a low or a high point or is it just like run the game? No, you don't know. You don't know. I love this. But uh, I'm not writing it, so well, I, maybe I'll. I, I might. I maybe might, we'll all work on it together. I'm going. I'm going on that retreat next week. Maybe I'll. Yeah. Maybe instead of doing some work on myself since I turned that corner, <laughs> now I'm not crying as much anymore. Maybe I'll. Uh, maybe I'll write this my YA book. Um, you can do a little research on Face App. You can. Um, that does give you a, a snapshot from the future, and from the, the one past. where I mean, I, my old lady is so fucking hot. <laughs> on FaceApp. Oh, I bet. Have you done I, it with Vendela Cram? I have no, I've never used it on any form of myself. Oh, um, it's wild. I bet I bet old Vendela Creme would be hot as well. Mm-hmm. Very I don't dynasty. know if it would even, you know, a lot of those apps like have trouble even like registering her face as like human. It's, you know, there's really? like, a, well, it's like, you know, when you draw, when you start drawing the makeup on that bag, it's like, where are the eyes? You know, so 
<laughs> Wait, I, do, this brings up another question. Do filters bum you the fuck out because you've spent like literally almost 20 years perfecting an art that now people are just like, oh my gosh, look, I like have giant exaggerated eyes and like high eyebrows and like, you know what I mean? Not so much because I still know that I can walk into the room and take all their breaths away, yes. you know? But, um, but there is uh, definitely, I mean, A, uh, I my filters came out right around the time that my skin started benefiting from them in makeup <laughs> pictures, right? So that was great. Um, but also, I will say the thing that I actually feel like that about is YouTube makeup tutorials and how mm. everybody has the same face stamped on over and over and over again. And I'm like, remember when we all had to cry in our bathroom and figure out how to make our mascara look best through the tears? Like, that's how you get an original look. Yes. Oh, my God. I had I had two books. I had the Kevin Aquan book when I was older. Same. But I, Same. I had a um, Boy George book when I was like... 12 or 13 I think that was like how to do your makeup like boy George and I was like yes this is perfect that's how I I did that smoky purple eye Uh, I watched the original Beverly Hills 90210 and would sneak into my mother's bathroom and would practice (laughs) the makeup that I saw on the show so that was where I based my looks and there you go I um when I when I'm just a girl came out I fully oh, yes. sourced bindies and wore bindies to school it's like so deeply upsetting thinking back at the <laughs> like this white gay child wearing bindies in it's also deeply upsetting but. that Gwen Stefani was but you know what I mean yeah, everybody's sure. forgiven I mean, her so I think sure. I can give <laughs> so, you a pass yes, I can give, you were yeah, a child yeah. I think yeah. you're yeah. I think you're okay you actually were like you know a child grieving the <laughs> loss of your mother and like trying to express yourself I think we're I think we're Can't okay let, can't let that explain it away. No, I, but I do, um, I, I feel like those, that era of having to find what draws you in and makes you want to like pursue it as a look or as, you know, I do, um, I think it's just like a bummer. I think it like inhibits young people's creativity and creativity that can happen with like makeup and appearance for it just yes. to be like, here's how you do it. Here's how you do what somebody else already did over and here's over. Here's what I'm going to say though about that as someone who's literally witnessing the evolution in front of me whilst also allowing TikTok, social meds, YouTube. I would say that I think that if you, I don't know, some kids, like I have a friend who's a total weirdo, the friend is, and their kid, a girl is like what you're, she, she's like YouTube tutorial. Like I want to look like that. Everybody else, blah, 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 blah. My kid, I mean, most people would say I'm kind of a weirdo too. (laughs) Our kid is like, does just does like an amalgamation of all kinds of things and like pulls from the weirdest references that I'm like, what are you? Oh, okay. I guess Lana Del Rey now, like what? (laughs) And they've just like real, they have really developed their own. Oh, young Royals. Birdie was watching this um, Swedish show, young Royals that they're obsessed with. It's like, it's this, it's this queer Swedish show that um, Birdie loves because the two main characters who play like lovers on the show are both queer in real life. And that oh, cool. is like a big deal for Bird. Yeah. Also, they both have acne and they don't cover up their acne. I love that. No, Birdie's like obsessed. Yeah. But Birdie like went and insisted that 
they wanted their hair cut like the Swedish boy. Like, just knew it was going to look fucking awesome. Uh You know what I mean? (laughs) But anyway, I'm just saying, like, there is a version of kids still discovering it for themselves. But then there are just some kids that are like, I'm just, like, kind of basic right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also have this, like, weird (laughs) narrative in my head about how, like, people are inhibited by, like, this. But it's very, like, like kids today. We had to walk uphill both ways kind of mentality. Like, I really find myself falling into that, like, sort of get off my lawn kind of. It's hard not to. (laughs) I get so mad about little kids with, like, sparkly and light up sneakers. I'm like, they have fucking everything. I would have killed for sparkly sneakers. I want them now. I love those. The most glamorous thing I ever owned was a Bee Gees lunchbox that had like the suggestion of sparkly lights on it. You know what I'm saying? I would have killed for sparkly sneakers. I mean, I would also kill for a Bee Gees lunchbox. Like, I don't think it has to be either or. We can all be mad we don't have any of these things. <laughs> we're going to go shopping for that once you feel comfortable going out. We're going to hit the town and get some sparkly adult sneakers and some uh, Bee Gees lunchboxes. So I have, so my question, I'm going back to my question. It was like 15 minutes ago. I know obviously like you found your community in the drag community post high school, but did you do theater or was there any, any support for you within high school or creative outlet art or like, were you an art kid or theater kid or what? Yeah. So I, um, I was always kind of a kid who was interested in both, like, I was always very performative and flamboyant, if you can imagine such a thing. And (laughs) I I, I really can. Yeah. So, you know, because I was always that kid who was like, I was making my cousin, like, I was like putting them in costumes and like directing plays with them. And very recently, like in the last couple of years, they were like, you were so bossy. And I was like, really? I just remember (laughs) us having a fun time playing. They were like, no, you forced us into doing plays. Fun for you. Um, but so, you know, so I just did the typical kind of like high school theater kind of stuff, like, you know, audition for the school play, like be in chorus kind of stuff. But more than that, I actually was really into visual art. So I did like, I did a lot of art classes in schools. And then I also actually wound up taking like after school, like painting classes and stuff. And yeah, cause you're I a finally, painter, right? I, I mean, I was, I, I don't any, I don't anymore. I'm not currently in practice. Who knows mm. what will happen in the future? But, um, but yeah, I went to school for, uh, for fine arts in, uh, at the, in Chicago. And so that was kind of my path. Where'd you go to school? The school, the art Institute. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was, I always really loved, uh, painting, sculpture, drawing, Um, And that was like a great outlet and I was very passionate about it. But there was always this missing thing where always I was like, I kind of feel like I should be on stage. I kind of feel, you know, Um, but it was tough because, you know, it was that it was like that blessing of like, you know, I love too many things. I can see too many paths for myself, right? Right, Which is like, you're like, oh, what do I do? But, but it's great. But, um, but I do, uh, it was kind of, it was when I was in, uh, when I was in college and I started, I turned 21 while I was in college, I started entering drag competitions. So I would like perform in clubs on the weekend, then like attend classes. And then I like worked a graveyard shift at a diner. It was like a very, just like, I'm like, I don't have the energy for one of those things anymore, but I, um, I was 
really like loved that I found a place to do drag. Uh, but school was what was like actually like intellectually, emotionally nourishing for me in terms of how people talked and thought about art. But I kept trying to insert drag into my work. So I would take like a photography class and I would use like drag as part of it, or I would do like a performance art thing. There'd be a drag element or like I would make like a wearable soft sculpture or whatever. And at the time, everyone was like, this is not fine art. You have to stop putting this in. Nobody likes this kind of thing, essentially, you know? And it was this real, like, I became very aware of this sort of ivory tower of, you know, you need the, it, like, it has to be inaccessible, right? Like part of what like makes fine art fine art is that like regular people, quote unquote, are not supposed to understand it. Like you have mm. to, and it felt so crazy. Like if this is a communication mode, why are we not communicating? Meanwhile, in drag, I was trying to do all these crazy things on stage and tell stories and do all this stuff and do political work. And people were like, no, 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 please be pretty and lip sync. And I was like, there is something very wrong with this whole situation. And so that was kind of those two push pull things became you know, I was like, what I love about drag is that it has like a quote, lowbrow sensibility, which is just say it feels accessible. It's like, it's sparkly, mm -hmm. it's fun. Everybody mm -hmm. gets let in on it. But I think then a lot of people want to cap it at like, that's all it can be. But that's just like, that's just the path in. And then you can do a million things. Why right. did I start talking about this? What? Because I like I it. Because I wanted. Because no. I wanted to know about <laughs> your. Because theoretically, I mean, I'm like on board with you on on all of it like I've always viewed drag as as an art form um that like can do so many things first of all makeup artistry is beyond fucking beyond and then the crafting and the creativity and like the messaging and what am I saying and what do I want to say like I have long just been a huge fan of drag as an art form and I've always thought of the performers as performance artists and Dela, you in particular I wanted to ask you about this because I wanted to ask like you are wildly funny you're a wildly funny improv comedian you are also in incorporating all of this like stagecraft, like sophisticated stagecraft into your performances in your costume design, that bug costume, everybody remembers. <laughs> on. Like that's, Come that's on. like, that's vaudeville stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the kind of imagination that you're like creating this illusion with your body and with your makeup. And so why did I start talking about this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, I'll keep taking more compliments. Please continue. But were you, were you always funny? Were you always, did you know that you were funny? Did, did people find you funny? Uh, I think it wasn't until, like, I knew that I was um, loud and said things other people didn't seem to understand for a long Same. time. But then, it, yeah, it wasn't until probably, you know, mid twenties that I started actually understanding that people thought I was funny. I still struggle with that. I'm still like, really? But, um, you know, like it's, uh, cause I think a lot of times, like if I'm writing comedy, if I'm writing a script, like, okay, great. I'm glad people think that's funny. But sometimes, you know, there's this thing where I'm just like, but I'm also just saying what makes sense in my brain or I'm like creating right. what just like is logical in my mind. Um, which I think is probably true for most of us, right? But I do feel like that 
that sensibility of like what you're referring to of like vaudeville, right? Like I've always loved this kind of like very broad comedy that like wasn't until I was like older that I understood like, oh, this is camp. There is like a, there is a queer sensibility here. But like, I always loved all the big, um, you know, MGM musicals and universal yes. monsters and like all of the stuff that's just like, so, you know, I mean, Pee Wee's Playhouse was like one of my main jams growing Fucking up. Everything. Which, Shout out to Wayne White. Like that show is still my like biggest drag influence in terms of. I was gonna add that was next question. What <laughs> what do you consider some of your biggest drag influences, and are there any um, drag queens that you really look up to, or who mentored you, or who helped you on the way up? Oh yes, absolutely. I um. You know, I mean, yeah, like I said, when I was little, it was like, I mean, Paul Rubens in my, I mean, that whole show is a, is a drag show and it's phenomenal. So that was definitely a big thing. Elvira, obviously like huge, you know, these sort of representations that at the time I didn't know were drag, but very clearly are in retrospect. And, um, you know, and then I also, like I did grow up, like my, my heterosexual father, for whatever reason, like owned like a lot of Barbara Streisand records and like loved, like, you know, we watched Kiss Me Kate like once a weekend. Um, So like (laughs) Ann Miller, Ann Margaret, Ann Ranking, all the Anns, like very influential. (laughs) The the Mount Anmore. Yes, it's just, well, but that's, you know, it's not a, it's not a um, Trinity anymore. So that kind of like messes with the vibe, but, um, but I, uh, as far as Queens, you know, it was like when I first saw the, um, the Wigstock documentary, that was, like I said, that was the first time I really had access to, um, to knowing who was out there and what they were creating and that they were like really creating. I mean, if anybody is not familiar, it's like, you know, Lady Bunny created, is she's this legendary drag drag uh, queen in New York. She created this outdoor festival that would happen annually. And it was just like all the drag queens coming together. And, and this is like, again, when this was still a very niche thing and the idea that they could take over a public park for a weekend was like pretty revolutionary. Um, and it was really just like the... Cr- craziest performance, you know? So it was like, these queens were like super inspiring. You, you know, you can see Coco Prune there. You can see Jackie B in there, Alexis Arquette, uh, Leigh Bowery, who is like such a mind-blowing performance artist who does this does this number in the show where he like births an adult woman live on stage. It's like, it's so crazy and amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so these queens were all people I looked up to, but I didn't get to meet until later in my life. And then was really that thing where holy crap, I feel like I'm meeting such this, like this legend. But again, it's kind of before the mainstream explosion of drag. So other people were like, who? And I'm like the most important person. So, um, but then I will also say, so when I turned 18, I was living in Boston and I saw a show um, called Holiday Ham by a queen named Varla Jean Merman. Varla Jean. And she is the queen who really helped me figure out like what I wanted to do with this. Like I saw her and I remember just sitting in the audience and being like, Oh, drag can be all of this. Like I knew that I loved the trappings, but she was a comedian. She was a storyteller. She was a singer. She was a dancer. She was like, and she was gorgeous, but not afraid to like look ugly, you know, like she's just like, just doing it all. And so brilliant. And I remembered that show just like blew the top off my head. And I just like turned to the person I was sitting with and I was like, 
that's what I want to do when I grow up. And they were like, uh, I don't think that's really a job, but it was, <laughs> um, but it was really like this huge moment for me. And then years and years and years later, I met Varla for the first time because she always performed summers in Provincetown. And uh, I started performing there 11 years ago. And I met her and I could barely speak to her. I was so nervous the first time we interacted. And then she came to see the show. And now this is like the beginning of P-Town career. And anybody who's like, you know, worked in a place like this, is like you're barking out on the streets. You're trying to get audience members in. I was working with a troupe of three other performers and there were nights where there was like a one-to-one ratio stage to audience. It was like, you know, and that's just like how you work your way up in Provincetown, you know, but, um, but one of those nights Varla was in the audience and I was like, oh my God, I have to perform for like three drunk, like Boston bachelorettes and Varla G right now. That's like, and it was so terrifying, but, um, But we, over the years, just started hanging out more and I stopped being tongue-tied around her and started being able to actually tell her how influential she was. And then we've become great friends. And then I I got to cast her in the movie we made last year. And that was like a real full circle moment. So, And the movie, if you guys want to watch it, is on Hulu, right? It is. It's on Hulu. Hulu. Yes. Um, So good. Thank you. Yeah. No, I was really, I I was, that was really exciting because we initially just, you know, we self-produced it and we released it on Vimeo just kind of on our own. We were like, we just, we're trying to figure out how to exist in the pandemic. And then, um, yeah. And then, and then Hulu came a knock-in, which was pretty mind-blowing. It was pretty cool. So that's, um, that's incredible. Definitely watch the movie. If you saw the movie and you loved it, Dale is also going on tour. We're back on the road. Thank God. This is, yeah, this is going to be my first actual live tour. It's exactly two years because holiday season 2019, Jinx and I were on the road with our, with our holiday tour. And then that was it. Like after that, there was, everything went. So, um, so yeah, so we're, we're heading back out and, uh, we've been, she's actually in LA right now, not with me in this moment, but we've just been like in my basement, hold up working on the the writing process and starting to build the new material and figuring out, you know, how you celebrate the holidays in this crazy moment we're living in, in a way that feels joyous, but also cathartic. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but yeah, I'm no, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I'm so excited to see it. And I think that j- just this last part of the conversation is really why, your art and your performance speak to me because everything that you're referencing as an influence, your love for performing holiday material, that's all That's all my dream come true. That's all I yeah. ever want to do. It's true. Pee Wee Herman's the inspiration for every like adult serious comedy that I'm trying. I'm like, it starts with Pee Wee Herman. We and did also- that. We, when we did our talk show, our my late night talk show, we said that we wanted it to be like Mr. Rogers meets Pee Wee Herman meets meets Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley, <laughs> that a late is night talk show starring me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we did it. They let us do it for a little while. I, so actually, that was good. we did do it for <laughs> some amount of months. I'm, yeah, I'm. I really. I. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know where you're at in the journey. I hope that there are opportunities for this to be resurrected because it certainly seems like a loss for us. It does. It feels like a loss to me personally. (laughs) No, I turned a corner, guys. I turned a corner. I have like grieved the things. We're moving forward. I don't know. I would like to, I like doing this a lot. The podcast has been super fun and Casey 
is like, I love listening to Casey talk about shit. So, so nice. It always makes me happy. I'm like trying to pretend I have my finger on the pulse. I don't fucking know what people think. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Did you, did you watch the Met, Met, Met Ball arrivals this year? No, I've, I've, I've looked at Instagram. Does that count? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what great. I meant. That's all, that's all it is. I don't think there's anywhere you can watch. I don't think Ryan Seacrest is like, <laughs> doing doing it for e but um do you did, what did you think of camp the year that they did camp were you as as a person who's basically committed their life to camp yeah um yeah. <laughs> is that fair well, to say yes oh 100 yes i feel like um a, a steadfast like advocate on behalf of camp which i feel like has like a weird has always had a weird bad rap and then suddenly is being celebrated in this very specific way. I don't know. I mean, it's also complicated. I could talk about all of this for like 5,000 hours, but the, you know, it's just that double-edged sword of, um, you know, drag queer aesthetic. It gets more popular, gets more accepted. And that's wonderful in the ways that, you know, visibility, less marginalized, et cetera. And also it's mm -hmm. like the, there it feels like it loses some of the heart of some of these right. things. Like camp is not about like, like camp comes from, you know, disenfranchised people like mm -hmm. creating something in the shadows. That's like a, that's like a warped reflection of the people in power. Right. Like to mm -hmm. me, that's like what that is. It's like this kind of like crazy funhouse mirror send up of the status quo. And so when you have the people who like are the people in power suddenly trying to adapt this, it's like so watered down. And I just like watched it. I was just like, none of this is camp, but like also camp there's, you can't like pin camp down with a mm -hmm. definition. Really? There's a million right. definitions. Right. But what I know is that maybe if somebody else wore this thing, it would be camp, but you in it are not camp. Yes, yes. Because you can't present yourself as an example of camp when you're doing like very sincere model face. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the lack of acknowledgement that this is humor and that, you know, it, it felt very weird and hollow to me that year. I have to Yeah, say. it just, it seems like a very like, um, like way to both like somehow uh, commodify this thing, but also lose all of the fun of it. All the yes. fun, right? Yeah, yeah. that was like, the bummer so, for me. I was yeah. just like, where's the fun? Yeah, it was like really deeply dissatisfying. Did anyone like, do like a birdcage skirt with like birds in it? I can't remember. I would have done that. I think Kim Kardashian West's uh, outfit this year was campy. That oh, I love fucking... her Babadook look. I loved yeah. it. <laughs> I just keep what? thinking of like What's Peter the... Pan's shadow, like Mary Martin yes, with yes, totally. Peter Pan's shadow. hundred yes. percent. But yeah. wait, what was the, what's the theory behind it, guys? I didn't read any fucking articles because I just couldn't be bothered right now. I but. said that my, my theory was that because it was like American fashion, lexicon of fashion, my mm -hmm. theory is that she is American fashion to the point where she can black out her whole self and just her silhouette is enough. Like, you to, know who it is. Yeah, you know who it is. And Fuck. That is actually true. I like that. Um, I like that take. I don't know if that's true. Also, I felt like, because you know I love a conspiracy theory, I was like, that might not even be her. Might and then not be it's her. like a commentary on fame, how she That'd doesn't even have to show up and everyone's going wild for the outfit she has on but it's not even her i love that we'll see That's, we'll 
Well, or we won't. We'll never no, know. No, and it's so sad. Like, that's the sort of thing that it's so satisfying not to know. It's so satisfying <laughs> just to put that out into the ether and then like never find out and just be like, oh yeah, this is this is how the this is how the world works now. This is how this is how fame and like we're all like excited about this person that very well may not be this person, but I don't want to know. I don't want to know how the sausage it with is Jiffy made. Pop. Yeah, exactly. I don't know whether exactly. I don't know whether the sausage is there or not. Well, Dela, we I feel like we went over like the theme of the podcast is always pivots. We went over a number of pivots that you have had in your life and career. The loss of your mother, seeing drag and deciding that's what you wanted to do with your life. We didn't even talk about on RuPaul's drag race when you took yourself out of the running to like, I mean, Wait, what? What? What happens? Um, we were. Yeah, that was a big one. <laughs> you devastate, big one. devastated the fans. Man, they were they they had a they had a lot of things to tell me about that year. Let me tell you, they still do. People love to tell me about how they. I wondered that. that. Are people st- <laughs> are people still like f- making their feelings known to you about it? All the time, yeah. But um, but it's uh. I would say um, that for the most of the people I get reaching out to me about it are people who are like, maybe like, oh, I just saw this or whatever. But I get a lot of people, you know, because you you take a swing like that. You take a big swing and you're like, okay, this is what this means to me. This is how it, what I hope it means to other people. But you have no idea, especially when you're being edited on reality television, right? Like right. it's in somebody else's hands. But, um, but and there were definitely people who were like, I don't get it, you know, but I had a lot more people reach out and I've had people reach out to me and be like, Hey, you know, like you making this statement about like not having to do the thing you're told you have to do to feel like a success made me leave, like helped me leave a job that was like really wearing down on me or like helped me leave a relationship that like looked great on the outside, but didn't feel good or, you know, and I've had a lot of people reach out with that stuff, which I'm like, that is great. Anytime I'm like, you know, I get those voices that are like, what are you doing? You blew it. Which like a lot of people want to say to me, I get a lot of these other voices that are much more powerful that are like, you helped me redefine how I think I need to view my own success and, and, and when I need to uh, listen to outside voices versus listen to my own intuition, which, you know, I have to say at that moment, like the moment I made that decision, it was very clear to me. That is not who I am in general. I am very hemmy and hawy and it takes me a million years to make any decision. Yeah. Um, that one for whatever reason felt clear, but it's like that fun feedback loop, right? Where I get that messaging from people and it helps me remember like, okay, you're actually struggling with this today. Let them remind you that you can be a little bit freed from these expectations, you know? Oh, I love that. I loved it when you did it too, because it's just like, I think whenever you take anything that's sort of artistic and you try to make it into a competition, you get into a funny place, right? Because the competition has to have rules, whatever. But like, like Taylor Hicks won American Idol. You know what I mean? That's what I always think of. Like, what's, what's the point of winning when Taylor Hicks won American Idol? You know what I mean? Like of going the distance, Jennifer Hudson did not win American Idol. And so, you know, and like these cooking competitions, like Top Chef, I'm always like, oh, you get disappointed when your favorite doesn't win or doesn't go the distance. And then I'm like, that doesn't make a difference as to like whether I will like go out of my way to go to that person's restaurant in the future. Chef Shoda, I'm talking to you. Um, So, you know, so I I loved it when you did. I thought it was so cool. And I'm glad that it's like inspiring 
murdering people in real life. And still, that's a thing that people are still saying to you to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very, very, very fortunate to to get that feedback. Because I do think, you know, also it's we get, because drag is so popularized through Drag Race, but to a lot of us, drag is like a much bigger thing. Drag Race is like a drop, you know, it's like part of the landscape. Yes. Um, I think it's, I think it's really easy to get tricked into the idea that the crown on drag race is the be all end all of drag when it's just like right. one of many accomplishments that can be had within the, within the field and within the art form. Um, and I think that's important because, um, you know, there are a million amazing drag queens out there who will never be on drag race for whatever reason. And right. like that, you know, it's, it does, there are people who went home first who got on the series who are amazing performers. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's um, drag race can be a great stepping stone, but like you have to be out there as an artist, like making right. your work, mm-hmm. putting, putting yourself out into the world. And like two months of television filming is just one part of your life, regardless of how it goes, you know? Right. Right. So are there any other pivots that have had a huge impact on your life or career? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's like, the the biggest one that's easiest for me to think about is just, I mean, I know that you guys kind of started talking about pivoting out of pandemic happenings, you know, but it, definitely uh, the, the pivot of moving into making uh, a, a movie when I'd been so dedicated to making live work because I'd actually been very, very resistant to doing anything on camera. Like there's a lot of you know, queens doing like YouTube content or like going out for, you know, acting roles or whatever. And I, I've just always loved live performance so much. Like I love that vibe and the feeling. energy. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just, I'd been, I think I like really clung to it. I was like, I love this so much. I can't let go, you know, and other people have been like, well, maybe you could expand into XYZ. And I'm like, no. So I think that, so obviously the the pandemic kind of forced the hand and I was like, well, this is the only way we're going to get to make anything like we can't, you know? So, um, and I had never taken on a project like that before. So we just, you know, figured it out. And fortunately I had a lot of wonderful friends who work in the film industry who were very generous with their time and knowledge, um, who, who kind of helped guide the way. But, um, but it was it was terrifying to feel like I would say part of the reason that feels like the biggest pivot is because everything else in my life feels like sort of a navigation of circumstance, mm. whereas the you know as a performer it's like always been headed in this direction. It's like the one thing in my life that's like here's the track you're on. Like everything else, especially you grew up a queer person, you're like I don't know, I'm probably never going to get married. I'm probably never going to have a kid. Whatever you know, it's like right. you're kind of freed of a lot of these things that are you know, and I say freed as like part of that is. Um, how we as queer person, people of a certain era, like made ourselves feel better about feeling isolated yeah, from things, it's just, right? It's but, just a thing that you put out of your mind because right. it didn't need to take up space at that time. Exactly. It's not so for it, her. It's, <laughs> yes. it's not for her. But I think it makes pivoting, it doesn't feel so much like pivoting because it's just like, where's the goal? There's no goal. I can go wherever the fuck I want, right? So when the pandemic came along, it was like, finally, like, oh my God, my career's in full swing. I've been like forming it my whole life. We're about to produce, like, you know, I was about to self-produce a US, UK, Canada tour for the first time. I was like, really, all this shit was happening. And, um, And then I was like, oh God, it's really 
it, it kind of felt like the first time that I had like known everything about something that was happening and it was all potentially gone forever. And it was so scary. Yeah. Um, so the shift into, you know, into working on something that could be on camera was, was just something that we made. It was like, I hemmed and hawed and cried about it for like a couple months. And then it was like, okay, now we're doing this. And we just all went into hyperdrive and didn't sleep for six months. And like, I mean, we, we did the whole thing from like, basically the moment we set pen to paper to the, to like delivering the final cut was, um, five and a half months. It was oh like, a God. Really, God. it was really nuts, you know, and this is with meager means, right? Like we didn't have, it was just us. So, um, but I feel like it also introduced me to this thing that it turns out I really love. Like I actually really love it. And now we're about to go back on tour and I'm super excited, but I'm also in my head like, okay, but I want to do this again. And now I know how I could do it better. And like, how can I, you know, it's like, yeah. Are you going to film the tour? No, I am very strongly a believer that live is to be experienced live. You know, like when I don't know though, but listen, I mean, but a documentary, Dela. Yeah, like a documentary of the tour. I'm into it. All right, I I'm going to tell like... you all my unpopular opinions, though. <laughs> okay, but I, but like for me, <laughs> but for me, <laughs> I would watch that. All right. I, well, I'm what if you didn't even see? What if You're you not didn't even see the performances? I I think that there's I can see I can see exactly what you're talking about. I can see the way to do it and to do it well. Here's 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 my counterpoint. Okay. Um so so yes, I believe live performance is to be seen live, but documentary stuff about the tour, I think that could be super interesting. I do here's I have this hang up where I feel like drag is for whatever reason, since drag race come came out, keeps being pushed into the realm of reality content and uh, documentary and reality are not the same thing. Not and at all. I already talked about Wigstock and how amazing that documentary yeah. was in my life, but I do feel like I want to like push for a, a world in which drag Queens are right. Like the reason I fell in love with the art form is it's like you, you're creating something that is artifice. It's a, it's a package. It has, you're it's in control. World it's building. Yeah. And I, and I do feel like there's, Drag races kind of um, introduced this idea that what's interesting in drag about drag queens is like the sort of male female transformation and this guy, you know what I mean? The behind the scenes, which I don't think is wrong, but I feel a little bit like I'm on a personal mission to like reinvigorate Mm -hmm. the excitement around like drag queen scripted content, if that makes sense. No, yeah, that makes total sense, and and you're absolutely correct that our idea for a documentary was terrible. We no, it it's back. not. The thing is, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I just need, I just need to continue fighting harder for the scripted stuff. I guess that's just yeah. you know what this is going to push me for it. We're going to make a documentary. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you something about me yeah, that you, you don't produce. know. Here's what here's what you don't know about me. I I recently have lost interest in almost all scripted content, and so <laughs> I I truly, and so I. I legit like kind of only want to watch documentary stuff or not react. I, I actually don't watch reality and I don't like reality. Same. Same. And, but I fucking live for a documentary. I do and like, I, lo- I love a documentary series. I love like a deep dive into a thing, like in a very real, serious, 
fucking nuanced way where you and that's what you lose in reality like so if people are like what's the difference between reality and documentary i'm like nuance like you don't you we're not i'm not here for like the fucking quick cut and like i'm the bitch and i'm the queen and i'm the this and i'm the that like i want to like get in you know and like see you with your fucking dad i want to see your dad watch you i want to see like i don't know whatever you're selling me on it okay I'm I know what saying, we might I'm be asking saying, for. We might just be asking to FaceTime Dela when she's on tour. And be like, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> I'm down. That sounds like the... That sounds potentially like the future of documentary filmmaking. I don't know. I, do, I just... I do think that... I, do, I agree with you. And I think that... Uh, I know I personally am friends with drag performers, uh, you know, for years. And I think that what does get lost sort of in the reality competition of it, because that is what a lot of people, a lot of people haven't seen Wigstock, um, is, is that nuance is like the, is the detail and the, and the humanity. Like a lot of times humanity gets really lost in, in reality, even, even on Drag Race, which I think is like a wonderful fucking show. And I love. It's so fun, but it's a format. It's so fun, but it's a format. And there's a a ticking clock on everything and everything has parameters. And the truth is like when left to your own devices, your creativity is limitless. You can do anything when you're. I, I almost think like, yeah, I almost think like it's time for like a new wig stock but maybe you know, you're the person to do it. I think you might be right. And I think it being, I think it being uh, by drag queens as well is probably, you know, there's a lot of people making drag queen content, but like, I think a drag queen perspective behind the camera is yes. important as well. So I agree. All right. I think this I'm not, it's not my movie to make. Do you know what I mean? But it's my, I definitely want to watch it. See it. <laughs> but like, are you available to help? Because I'm trying yes. to, I'm trying to crew up right now. <laughs> yes. I can Excellent. hold a boom. I've got Perfect. very strong arms. I just, I mean, honestly, having you in the pitch deck as the boom up is going to be hugely helpful. Yeah. <laughs> off the ground. And then like there'll it. also be a picture of Michelle Williams because they'll, they'll, if you're using busy in a pitch deck, that's what we learned is that people always like to throw in a photo of Michelle Williams. Oh, Perfect. Totally. Totally. Great. Wait, here is now I'm going to now I'm going to yes. And my pitch. Okay? okay. All right. I'm ready. Why don't we do a mockumentary, <laughs> a scripted mockumentary uh-huh. within the drag world tour, world touring, touring world that we, that I'm in. Sure. Sure. Why not? Yes. Okay. Great. I may be the boom operator. Okay. <laughs> I am. I am absolutely here for this. And I, then it's fast and loose. And but you do it. Maybe it's too soon for this tour. But maybe next tour, you do it like the dates that you're in. You have to. You schedule it and you book other queens to be parts in it because you know you're going to be in Tulsa. You know you're going to be here. You know you're going to be here. Whatever. It's very so improv heavy. It's oh yeah. Well, sure. There's that. But like we, I think like a, I think like a, but like let's get a budget. I want a budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, let's get a studio, guys. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. I'm. I'm I, am, I feel like this is a good idea. I am with you. Yeah. You don't. You do not have to raise your voice to me. <laughs> we are on the same team. And all I know is that we got to get Sam Pancake has got to have a part in it. Otherwise, Sam will fucking kill me. Okay, great. I would be delighted to have Sam Pancake as my 
um, anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, Sam lived in my guest house for in my in Los Angeles for like almost ten, almost a decade. I didn't. And yes, and this is before you lived in LA, so you didn't know this. But very frequently. <laughs> To this day, I will be somewhere and someone will be like, you know, I've been in your pool. And I'm like, <laughs> Sam Pancake. Such a gross way to approach it's someone. really intense. It's really oh. uncomfortable. Sam Pancake. Okay. I do miss going up your stairs, though, and being like, hi, Sam. That was a very Sesame Street um I know. He, like, experience. lived under our stairs, kind of. <laughs> or, like, oh. he lived... So basically, the guest house, it was this old Spanish house, and the guest house was underneath the house. But when you went up the front steps to the front house, front door, you passed his bedroom windows <laughs> and also his uh, living room window. Living and room. he was watching Drag Race the night that he um, thwarted the would-be murderer on the steps. It's like, see, this is what I'm saying. Crazy shit happens to me. Holy crap. Casey, were we not doing the show when this happened? No, I don't think so. You didn't know this story? I never heard this story. No. I mean, I knew that you had shady people showing up on I your mean, property. I mean, I think this happened maybe more recently than less I knew recently. about the, the masturbating guy in your backyard. Listen, but. the masturbating guy in my backyard was like, no big deal. That guy just wanted. <gasps> that guy was just trying to get it up because he was on drugs. We're really, you know? um, we're really it's making a, murder a life in LA sound great to Dela, who's never been outside. It's not the like door. nobody's ever masturbated in a yard in Seattle. Sam fucking pancake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. A real hero. Wow. He is a hero in many really ways. Is. Um, sorry, I've told so many stories that can't be on this podcast, but that's that's all right. It's nice to hang. <laughs> <laughs> just nice to talk, talk to people. <laughs> I've had so much fun, though. Thank you again Yay. so much. It's been really like, this is just a delight and an honor. And thank you again. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm a big fan. I'm excited you, to work together. Yeah, yes. I'm excited oh that God. we're we're going to send our, our credits over. And, and, you know, you just let us know what you think, what you have, you have positions for us. I think a mockumentary is the, is. I don't know. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing I'm, this it. This is this is where you like this for you is like where the line indescripted, like this is where you can like blur it a little bit. Yeah. I do. I actually yeah. can. I actually okay. I actually can. All right. And, and I will so funny. For you. Great. Okay, great. I'm honored. Bendela Krem, you're an artist. I love your openness. I just love everything about you. I'm a huge, huge fan. And uh thank you so much for agreeing to visit Yay. with us today. Thank you. It's really, I, I feel like we've all bonded very heavily. So We um, really have. And I don't have that many friends in LA. So like, you know, anytime you guys want to hang, I'd love to masturbate in your yard or whatever. <laughs> or we can Wait. go get nachos at Petty Cash. <laughs> that actually sounds it. better. I'll definitely come back for nachos. And I'd love to come see you on tour. So I'm going to um, check out the dates online. Where can people go to find those dates? They can go to jinxandela.com. Jinx is spelled J-I-N-K-X because she loves to make things difficult for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our, our full tour dates are available right there. And we'll be uh, all over the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. That sounds like a delightful thing to do this holiday season, and everyone <laughs> should do it, and I'm going to, so you might see me there. I can't <laughs> wait to see you in New York. 
Okay, so while we were while you were listening to the Bendela Creme interview, busy read a lot the, of not the not the entire article yet, but read a lot of the bad art friend article, and her watching her face was a true pleasure. She didn't even finish it yet, but all I will say is that people that are in group chats, you might be interested. There is there's a lot this this article does have everything it as Casey everything. had said. <laughs> It has everything and it has a lot of like group chat content warnings. I mean, just everything, everything. I think I might be on team nobody for now. It made me have a lot of other questions. That's what I'll say. There are things that I really want to know. But again, just being like a total part of the problem by being curious about this. But it's a this good is article. Really, really interesting. <laughs> Get yourself an afternoon coffee and just settle settle back for one half hour to read this article. It's really nice, actually, to just be (laughs) sitting with coffee. You deserve it. You deserve it. Is it nice and cool there in New York? It is, actually. Well, I don't know. Yesterday. Okay, so, guys, this is like... So fucking amazing. Busy can't tear itself away from the article. (laughs) Well, wait. Yeah. Enjoy the article later when you can get like uh, a cappuccino or whatever and tell us about Harry Styles. All right. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what I'm going to say. First of all, oh, God, with everything going on, I a little bit, it had escaped me that Harry was coming to Madison Square Garden and my old friend Jenny Lewis was opening for him. And Lewis, like, you know, guys, listen, how it's been because of pandemic and whatever, like, I haven't, well, she had moved out of LA like a couple years before the pandemic, pretty much. Like, we come back every once in a while. But like, you know, as things go, like, we lead different lives. She doesn't have kids, you know, like it just ends up happening. We sort of like hadn't really been in much touch the last couple years, like every now and then, like, uh, what's up, dude? Are you around? Okay. I want to say hi, you know, whatever. Um, but then pandemic. So I haven't like seen her in several years. And when I got out of Hoffman, it occurred to me that not only did I have to get the fuck out of this house because we were kicked out, but that the Harry Styles concert was happening in like a week and a half and I hadn't done anything to get tickets for my kid, which I had promised Bertie that we were going, you know. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, you know, I just back myself into these things, Casey, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so I texted Lewis and I was like, wild, wild days. Here are some things you might not know. Filled filled her in real quick. Gave her the down low. And I was like, I know Madison Square Garden's probably like insane. Birdie would be forever grateful if you could find a spot for us. And Lewis was like, yes, dude. I can, I'll put you guys on for Monday night. Uh, I was like, that is literally the nicest thing. I did have a bit of a, and I wanted to ask you how you handled this. I had a bit of a hard time because, you know, Cricket also really wanted to go, but Cricket's not vaccinated. And the and the thing is, like, if they, 
if you're not vaccinated, you have to get a test that like a PCR test that day or whatever. But like still, I just made me uncomfortable to like put cricket at Madison Square Garden with however many thousands of screaming teenagers and adults. And like, I don't know. It just made, am I, I just felt like, I just don't think, I just think there's plenty of concerts in the world for cricket in the future. And just in this moment because of COVID and Delta variant and all that, like, I just felt like erring, erring on the side of her being mad at me. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's okay. And I bet, is she still mad at you or did she forget that she's mad at you? She seems fine. She just wanted to do what everyone else is doing. But I think like, you know. Well, I mean, if a techno DJ comes to town, Cricket's going to be. Exactly. Exactly. She's going to want to get to that rave. You better believe it. (laughs) Just get inside that computer. I think she'll be, she'll be okay. I think I need to get Cricket turntables for Christmas. That would be so fun. Don't you think Cricket's a DJ? DJ Cricket. DJ Cricket. Yeah. Some techniques. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. So, huge shout out to friend and lovely human Jenny Lewis for helping me out. Just that's, you know, here's the deal, guys. I've, I might be a little bit of a mess in the current time, whatever I'm trying to say, but in the past, I've really been a person that has showed up for other people. And so therefore I'm very grateful when people are able to show up for me, um, and anyway, so it was amazing. So we went, Bertie was, Bertie uh, like borrowed and wore this like vintage Gucci dress I had in my closet downstairs, which was pretty fucking cool kid, you know? Their hair, they dyed their hair bright blue over the weekend, which was fun, post Hamilton. Just guys, also, by the way, I do want to say this, in case you were like billionaire, probably just didn't understand blue hair, didn't have blue hair when Bertie was sitting next to, Hamilton bro, billionaire. I think it is. I think it is because I think sometimes people are able to be judgy about physical appearances, which we know is bullshit, but I'm just going to also just say you don't get that because didn't they didn't even have blue hair at Hamilton. It was blonde at that moment. It looked great. Platinum like yours, Case. I know. I, I Bird's hair is always very cool. I know. They are the coolest. But anyway, so... <sighs> So we got there. Bertie was stressed. Too many, it's a lot of people. We, um, luckily the merch line right in front of like where we were going in to sit was very short, which was a miracle. So we like merched it up and I bought a t-shirt that said, who the F is Jenny Lewis. And then Lewis today was like, I could have just sent you one, dude. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but I felt like it was fun to support. And I was buying all the Harry Styles merch anyway for Birdie. And so Um, we went and we sat down. It was very exciting. Everybody around us was very excited. And then, yeah, the pit was filling up and Lewis was like, so good. Like, it was just amazing to see her in the in like a huge stadium like the rock star lady that she is like you know just so rad and owning it um i think the last time i saw lewis play was in charleston when i was doing vice principals so that was like 
six years ago. So she was just like amazing, played all the songs that I love. She's Not Me is so fucking good. That song is so good. Just One of the Guys, also great. I love it. So good. Um, But she and I had a really interesting texting convo about rethinking lyrics, like about like within the gender binary and like things that we are all learning in the last few years, which is, I think, cool. Um, And yeah, and like my friend Jason Bozell is playing drums. It was just like so neat. And the very first, Birdie's never been to a concert before. Because, you know, Birdie's like a kid that like, um, in case you didn't know, (laughs) like, but Birdie has some sensory stuff, you know, and like, like things like loud noises and heat and uh, crowds of people can really stress them out. And like, so, okay, I'm not going to like subject them to that, you know. So uh, the only time Birdie had ever seen kind of like live music in any way, really, was when they were three. And Jenny was, at the time, in a band. Her band was called Jenny and Johnny. And she played with Jonathan, you know, Rice, our friend, Jonathan Rice. They were a couple, and they were in a band together for a period of time. And uh, and so they were playing at the Fonda. And Birdie, we'd been playing, like, the Jenny and Johnny album so much in the house at the time. Birdie was really little. Oh, no, I'm going to cry. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so they invited us to bring Birdie to the sound check um, at the Fonda, which was close to our old house in LA. And we did. And they played like the song that Birdie loved from their album so that Birdie could hear it. We And I was like, of course, you know, ordered those big headphones for Birdie to wear because I didn't want to damage their hearing because I was like a mom who's always just been trying to do everything perfect. And we all know that how that's worked out for my brain. Um, and uh, so anyway, so since then, since that day in 2011, uh, Birdie hasn't been to any concerts and um, you know, this has been like, this was like the dream, like hair, like couldn't wait. Harry Styles was going to be their first concert. And the fact that Lewis was opening was just so special and sweet. Um, yeah. And she has a new song that'll be coming out or I don't know if it's out. I should check. I, she had sent it to me. It's so good. Um, it's called Puppy and a Truck. <laughs> um, and it's really, really good. Uh, anyway, so that was Lewis. And then the greatest thing ever happened. Harry Styles walked out. And... Uh, like, you know, Lewis was done and Harry came out and it was like, he's just the best. He's so good. It was like, I imagine, like, it was, I just, I don't, you know me. I'm like, I don't, 
I've never really been into like big pop acts, you know? So like it doesn't really, I don't have a frame of reference for like big stadium shows. Like I saw Coldplay once at like a soccer stadium, you know what I mean? And I didn't think like, oh, Chris Martin, wow, what a, I mean, he's great, but like he's so great. He's so talented. He's infinitely talented, Chris Martin, I'm sure. I mean, he is. But it wasn't like, it felt like what, the only thing I could compare it to, you're going to die. He probably would love it. Is like when I saw Bette Midler. Oh, <laughs> Like yeah. a star, like a fucking star, you know? He is just like luminous and so talented and so adorable and like all of these and like the thing like I cried because he just genuinely like toward the end of the show whatever is like thanking his band and thanking the people and like his it's a New York show so all of his like really good friends who had come and all this stuff and then just was like and every single one of you, because like, I Aww. don't think for a second, I don't understand. Oh no, see, I'm crying again. <laughs> you guys, it's been a week. It hasn't even five days. <laughs> I love that I got, I said this, I was like, I got one fucking week of that piece from Hoffman. One week of just <laughs> flying high. And then boy, did it come crashing. But anyway, he, you know, he just was like, and don't think that I, for one second, don't know how like, I would not be standing here without every single one of you supporting me, buying my records, like, listening to the albums and loving the music that we all make together. And, like, I legit started sobbing. Like, what a f- like what fucking hot-ass rock star does that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in a genuine, like, really felt way. Anyway, I feel like, yeah, I mean, Olivia Wilde really won the divorced ladies lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Some people thought it was Meghan Markle, but no, turns out it was another Brit. Right? (laughs) Oh my God. Hilarious. He seems Um, like a very special person. I do have to say, like, he's just, just... I can't stop. I like just... I really adore him. Yeah. <laughs> I really think he's so special. And like his music's so good. And I love that his message is like of inclusion and treating people with kindness. And like, even when he's talking about like having sex with ladies or men or whatever, it's like, I want to please you. Like, you know, what yeah. I mean? like he's like, watermelon sugar is like about how good your pussy tastes. You know what? Whatever it is. Like, it's like. What? Well, newsflash, he did say he at did another, today, right? another stop, yeah, that it was about that watermelon sugar is about the female orgasm. And he did it, of course, in a funny, charming way. This is what I'm saying, so, though. Like, yeah. what what rock star is writing from the from the place of, like, uh, pleasuring a woman? I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember when DJ Khaled said that he, like, would never be caught going down on a woman. Do you remember this? It was when we were doing Busy I Tonight. I do remember, yes. Because we do were, remember. I think we talked about it on Busy Tonight. Probably. We did. I'm almost positive we did. Because I remember being so like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what? (laughs) What did he say? He said, what now? Don't worry about it, Khaled. (laughs) Hey, by the way, Khaled, Harry Styles is going to take one for all 
for all you motherfuckers. Yeah, also, it's like not, yeah, not on the table. Yeah. Anyway, my point being, my point being that like, you know, pop music is like full of misogynistic messaging. And this is like a dude who's like, I'm going to sing about like worshiping ladies in like a lovely way, not in like a blurred lines way. (laughs) Oh. Oh Which, by the way, gosh. there's something with him, too. But I didn't even, I can't, I know nothing of what's happening because everything else is a mess. So there's it's something just a, it's happening a with down. him. Yes, I believe Emily Ratajkowski said that he, what? That he groped her on the set <gasps> of Blurred Lines. Wow, 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 yeah. wow. Yeah. Gross. So that's gross. I mean... Yeah, she said he grabbed her breasts. Um, it's just, you know, listen, I came to a conclusion that being a woman in show business a lot of times is just watching everyone love someone that grabbed your tits, vag, or ass. Watching everyone... Just celebrate someone and celebrate someone. Yeah. Mourn them when they die. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've had a. I know. I know. I have too. Yeah. I've had that experience as well. Actually, it's so funny. A friend of mine just did a table read with a a dude who you're going to, you know who it is. Yeah. I know who it is. Um, And was saying like, it took everything again wanted to like punch him in the face yeah 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 and I know people will be like well tell us who it is because I this I've been down this road a million times it's just like in my case in this one case that I'm referencing this week it wouldn't it doesn't it wouldn't do anything it wouldn't like change anything yeah and I just feel like like why am I gonna get dragged by people that this that love this person Oh my God. I mean, truly like, whatever. Yes. I've had my fair share of people telling me to get raped and die for talk, speaking out about assault. So I'm good for right now. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's not something. Yeah. I'm not not like super interested in reopening that can of worms for myself. For me. For me, because it's been a stressful five days. Yeah. Uh, but 100% stand with everyone that does yes. come forward. 100%. And by the when, way, in your own time, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, I this is about a, an incident that took place on a video shoot that was a decade, maybe a decade ago. I don't know. When was a long lines? time ago. A long yeah. time ago. It takes people a fucking minute sometimes to be able you to, have to. Yeah. speak truth to what happened to them. Yes. So you have to give, allow people the space to be ready when they're ready and not yes. feel as though it's your responsibility to somehow like shove them out right. into it. Right. 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 Yes. You're 100% right. And um, yeah. So this podcast has been a real roller coaster. Like it's my been, life. Yeah. Bendel a creme, outstanding person. We're going to, we're going to, um, apply to work on on her movie on her <laughs> on her mockumentary. Vizzy and I are sending our resumes over. Um, we're sending 
sending love and support to all our friends in IATSE. Uh, if that yes, if that strike is happening, um, people are about to learn how important everybody is on the set. They're, by the way, and they're like what they're asking for is reasonable. Like it's not. They're I mean, not to like. By the way, all eat. unions, all unions. Like I, I mean, what? Yes, it's like it's not just reasonable. It's like long overdue and necessary for yes. the safety of the people that make this shit happen on set. Yes, yes. And so, if you're, um, it, even if you're not in show business, Hollywood break, uh, the crews, the crew union, the people behind the scenes that do all the things to make TV shows and movies are um, have voted to. To strike if if their requests are not met, their requests are very simple and humane and necessary. They need to make a living wage. They need to work reasonable hours. They need to be allowed to eat. They need to be sent home after a reasonable amount of time so they don't get into car accidents out of exhaustion on the way home. They need to be allowed to use the bathroom. Things like that. All those things. Everybody, I know when we talk about film and television, you have like a really glamorous picture, but there are, you know, regular working class people on the set of every show and film that you love. And they have been getting the shit end of the stick for a really long time. And And they deserve to have the support of writers, actors, and directors. Yes. Yes. So we're sending everybody love and standing with them. Everybody that went to the marches, thank you for for doing that. That was incredible. And so many people shared photos um, from the marches that they went to. And that was really cool to see everybody out there. Um, And it did my heart a lot of good uh, to see that. And I guess that, is that it? Is that all we... Well, yeah. I mean, I, yes. And I didn't, I did, I ended up having to <laughs> leave DC unexpectedly, obviously. And I posted the speech that I was going to give at the rally, uh, on my Instagram. If you haven't seen it, you can yeah. watch it. It's great. Um, I seem very tired <laughs> or like emotionally <laughs> exhausted as I'm giving it, but well, I really, I worked on that speech. I love writing a good speech. So if you feel like watching it, Please do. Um, and I really like love. I really like and love all of you. <laughs> I really like and I really love you all at home. And I appreciate your support of us and our podcast and things we want to do. Like it, like Harry Styles says, we are well aware that we would not be able to fill Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Even with all of you. With, <laughs> with or without every single one of you. Um, no, but uh, but we really do love you. And uh, we didn't even talk. What, so wait, what are you doing your best at this week? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that I think I had like a crystallizing moment where I was like, my job is to make things, to write things and to make things. And when I'm lucky enough to do that, I really appreciate it and it's worth pursuing. Like that is really what makes my heart happy and it's really what I want to do and it's worth waiting for. But my calling, I think, is a little bit of a different thing, and that is to facilitate 
other people getting to do what I love to do because if it hadn't been for people helping me, I never would have gotten to do this. And so I feel like, you know, it's not something that I'll ever get paid for. It's not something that I'll ever win an award for or be recognized for. Um, It's not something that someone's going to steal and write into a short story that then (laughs) will cause a big New York Times article to be written. Um, But my calling is to, if people want to do what I've been lucky to do, then it's like my duty in the universe to try to do what I can. Uh, That's all I can do is try. I can't make any guarantees. And I will say, you know, since we had such a big talk about boundaries, I'm not talking about everyone. I'm not talking about somebody who's like, I think I should be a writer on a TV show, but I'm not willing to move to LA or New York. And I also don't really like to write anything. And also like, I haven't even Googled the first thing about how you do this. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) That is not my, is not my calling to help that person. No. But if someone has done the work and it's obvious to me that they feel like me, like I would be so lucky to get to do this and I know everything about it and it's what I eat, sleep, breathe and drink, then yes, then it's my universal responsibility to try to do whatever I could to to get them, to at least help them to point out where the path is. I and like this. Yeah. So anyway. That's very that's, cool. I think that's something that I've always known and I've always felt that way and I've always operated that way. But I think it was interesting to just realize and I just realized while I was on stage at a panel that that is, you know, I have a job that I get to do sometimes and then I have a calling that I can do all the time and they're related, but they're not exactly the same. And so I did my best at that. I did my best. I gave out a lot of phone numbers, a lot of emails. I connected a lot of people and we'll see what happens. I am, I'm hopeful, knock on wood, that some good things come out of, you know, some of the people that I connected. I really like that. That's really (laughs) nice. Thank you. You did your best at, I mean, a lot, you know, you didn't punch anyone. You know what I did my best at this week? What? Not punching that guy. (laughs) And also reconsidering ruining his life. Yeah, there you go. I probably won't. I probably won't even put the energy toward it anymore. (laughs) Whoever he is, I hate him. Ugh, what a fucking piece uh, of shit. And that's just enough. We hate him. We hate you, sir, if you're listening. Sir, sir, you're the worst. You picked on a child. Because probably, I mean, when it comes down to it, you probably didn't get any love in your childhood. Because you don't like your life. Yeah. And no money in the world will ever fix that for you, sir. I guess you're trying now. So enjoy. Enjoy trying to mine some type of joy from a Broadway show when you can't even find a little bit in your own heart. gross heart. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you're the Sir. worst. <laughs> Sir, respectfully, you are the worst. Actually, now I wish that's what I would have done. Shit, that is actually the best. Just as I was leaving, like, Sir, just very respectfully, you are the worst. Bye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Bye. See you later.
Um, <laughs> guys, we love you so much. And we, we will talk we really to you do. soon. You guys are not the worst. You guys are the best, best. We love you. I hope that you're all hanging in. Doing your best. At all kinds of things. Um, and yeah, till next week. Oh, no.